1: Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble Bookstore on High Street, the best place for Ohio State gear and apparel, and MinutemanTickets.com. Concerts, theater, sporting events make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. We're standing on the field. We just had interviews with players on Tuesday night, and we're trying to do it here And like, big uh, golf carts with giant knobby wheels on them are driving around. So you might have some ambient noise in this Buckeye Talk, but I think it will be worth it. Uh, there's a lot going on with Ohio State. Two guests this week. Um... They both had to go early, so I recorded them earlier. One is Ryan Aber, who covers Oklahoma for the Oklahoman. And he's going to do what we talked about last week. We said we would do. We got an Oklahoma writer to talk about what Oklahoma people are thinking about the playoff and how they're feeling about their one loss team. And I think Ohio State fans will find this very enlightening. And then we have a 40 minute conversation that is a complete Dwayne Haskins breakdown. With Ian Wharton, who is a, a NFL draft guy and college football guy I really like. Um, he's from Ohio. He's on Bleacher Report. He's really good on Twitter. And he gives the most complete evaluation of Dwayne Haskins that you will have heard in your life. 40 minutes of it, and you don't want to miss it, even if this golf cart is driving you crazy right now. So that's coming later in the podcast. Please do not miss it. For now, it's me and Stephen Means. And Stephen, there was some stuff. Man, it's been a year of stuff. There was some stuff that happened today with the Brett McMurphy story, making an allegation that Trayvon Grimes transferred, not because his mom had a medical issue, but because Zach Smith called him a -A B-A-N during a practice and used a racial uh, derogatory racial word toward him, and that's why he actually transferred. Everybody around Ohio State pushed back super hard on that um on tuesday michael drake the president did gene smith the athletic director did a bunch of players did what's the outcome we have stories at cleveland.com about this but steven in your words what's the is there any result for this football team from this
0: i think the one thing it can do is kind of galvanize this team and if they can take all that energy and Upsetness isn't a word, but we're going to use it here. Upsetness <laughs> towards that article and that report <clears throat> and kind of put it into, channel it into football. I think this team can, you know, do something special down the stretch here. I think uh, they're, obviously they're playing Maryland this week game that, you know, I don't think anybody thinks they're going to lose. But I think this is a perfect opportunity for them. They now have motivation now to pretty much carry them through the rest of this season. I normally hate this crap, um, and I wrote a column about that at Cleveland.com.
1: I I, I hate the, we got to get through adversity and all that stuff. I think it's overplayed a lot. I think it's underplayed a lot. Like, I think it's a ridiculous thing that sports writers love to talk about, and that often um, is poorly characterized and overblown. However, I think in this case, I completely agree with Steven, because I feel like, They feel like somebody came at their program. And all this previous Urban Meyer Zach Smith stuff in July and August, that had nothing to do with players. That was like off-the-field stuff with the coach, and they just were innocent bystanders in that. And and they're they're also bystanders to this. But the thing that the the allegation, and you can go read the story if you want to. We have stuff at Cleveland.com that links to the main story. The allegation is about something that happened in practice. And these guys push back with the idea of, this is our program, this is our team. We wouldn't, if that happened, we wouldn't stand for it. We wouldn't let that happen. Do you think that we, as veteran receivers who are, are the leaders of this team, would just, like, if that really happened, we'd just be, like, still be here doing this and nobody would have raised a stink about it? They really, I think, were almost offended that, by that idea, Stephen. and And that, I do think... Somebody came at their program, and that's different than what happened in July and August.
0: Yeah, different in a lot of ways. One, like, let's be honest here. Like, obviously, it was a racially charged altercation that allegedly happened at a football practice. And when you're talking about a sport where the majority of the people playing that sport are predominantly African-American males, let's be honest, pretty much what they said was – if that was said, y'all really think that we were just going to, you know, it, it would have. there would have been more to that story. It would have probably started with, hey, players got into an altercation with the coaches, and then we'll go, oh, this is why players got into the altercation with the coaches. We wouldn't have heard about why first. And in this situation, we're hearing about the why first without – pretty much we're hearing about the cause, and there's no effect to it. And I think that was – The main reason why you've seen guys like Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon all come out and immediately refute the situation of if that happened, you would have heard about a lot of other things that would have happened because that one situation happened.
1: And I I think that's I I think that's right. I mean, like we weren't at practice. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, So we don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll say this a lot. Some people on Twitter are sort of asking like the journalistic opinion of this. Um, And again, I put that in the column I wrote, but I will say this a lot of time. People are often very interested in journalists calling out other journalists. And I will say, you know, like, we're not in this together because we're competing. But I'm not typically interested in criticizing other journalists. I don't cover other journalists. That's not my beat. I cover a football team. I cover football players. I cover a university. I cover an athletic department. That's who I'm worried about. Um, What other people do doesn't really affect me, right? Um, But yet what other people do does affect us because people get a group view of the media. So I will say this. I'm not sure who this story helped. And in a world where... um, college athletes could use our help sometimes you know they're not getting paid they're out here putting their brains and their bodies on the line they're going to class they're trying to lead normal lives while basically having two full-time jobs um they can use they could use some help sometimes having their voices heard where in in a multi-million dollar industry where there are a lot of, of adults in the room who get to make a lot of decisions that affect these kids and the kids don't have really any power That's part of what we do. It's part of what we should do. And so the idea of like maybe, you know, standing up for Trayvon Grimes here against a university, I get that. Except Trayvon Grimes didn't want anybody to do that. He didn't ask anybody to do that. He didn't talk for the story. He said, my dad, who is the source of the story, don't listen to him. He lies. He offered a no comment. His mom, who is the person that he's close with, did not want this story. So if you're doing this like for Trayvon Grimes, he didn't want you to do it. And in fact, the mother's medical history got dragged into this and she had no interest in that being dragged into this. So if, if you're not trying to help the player involved, you, you end up trying to balance the, the public right to know and the greater good versus dealing with someone's personal medical history. And I think every journalist, you're constantly balancing that. The public's right to know versus the invasion into a person's life that often happens with a, a news story. And I don't think this story rose to the level of that. I don't think what was revealed, and what was revealed was refuted by a million people. Even if it's true, it's terrible. But considering that the player involved who it happened to, if it happened... And his mother had no interest in this and, and you end up dragging her medical history out there i don't think it's worth it
0: yeah that's two out of the three people when you're talking about that group of people who are saying that they had they wanted nothing to do with this story and yet i think at the end of the day you're either helping or you're hurting a situation and i think this did more to hurt a situation than help i think you know the, the person we're talking about in this alleged incident neither the, both of the two people we're talking about neither of those two people are at Ohio State anymore. For their own reasons, uh, whether they're you know necessary to this argument or not, neither one of those two people were at this school anymore. So I didn't. I thought uh, this wasn't necessarily something that was that needed to be added to a long list of things that Ohio State is already dealing with within that situation with Zach Smith.
1: It 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 just felt like the only reason to do it was to to negatively. To, to write a negative story about Urban Meyer Who again, even if it was true Is not the person who said anything no. The person who's alleged to have said the word Is already fired And so, again, it's just I, I don't know what I think when you write a story, especially a story like this It's sort of like to ask the question like What's what's the point? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you serving? Journalists should serve the public in a lot of ways And often stories like this can't um, And in the Courtney Smith sir, situation And people have divergent opinions on that, but the attempt, you you could understand the attempt to serve a person who didn't have a voice, a person who was alleging domestic abuse um, against powerful people. Okay. She was, she was, she gave you quotes for that. She, she was looking for that. She was, this is, this is like if you're writing it and someone doesn't want you to write it. So we've said what we needed to say. Um, Ohio State, refuted everything and like uh, we think maybe it actually could have a galvanizing effect on the team but I don't know that there's a next step to this like what's the next story what are they gonna uh, this has been alleged and it's been denied so I I don't know that it goes anywhere else from here let's do the playoff quick we have a couple questions about it so the playoff rankings just came out as we uh, are recording this and the top 10 stayed the same this week Ohio State's still number 10 they're still um, the last Power Five one-loss team. They're the lowest-rated one. They're still behind West Virginia, Washington State, Oklahoma, Georgia, um, Michigan. Still four. Nothing, nothing changed. So we're gonna go to a question. Computer ran out of juice, and I'm trying to. I tried to look up the playoff thing, and then I lost track of the thing. But we have a question about. Um, the playoff rankings and scenarios for them. And so just first of all, Stephen. before we get to the question, the idea that like they didn't move, there's still 10. What's your
0: gut reaction on that? I'm not surprised by it. I think it just kind of fishing out Twitter the last you know, 48 hours or so from pretty much since like the AP poll came out to today, a lot of people, there were some people who were surprised that they didn't move up in the AP poll either. They actually went down in the AP poll because and their argument was they beat a ranked team on the road 26 to 6 but then you watch the game and you go oh okay yeah they should have moved down yeah they should have stayed put in the college football rating so I'm not surprised that they stayed the exact same place but because yeah they beat a team by 20 in their place who happened to be ranked but at the same time it really like numbers don't lie but they always don't tell the full story and so I think This is a perfect case scenario of that. We're like, yeah, they beat the team by 20. But if you watch the game, they really didn't beat them by 20. Yeah. And they watched the game. They watched the game. And and it's one of those things. They didn't move. I
1: think maybe they're like a stronger 10 than they were. That like maybe West Virginia's 9, they're 10. Maybe they're closer to West Virginia than they were. But the bottom line in all this is a lot stuff's going to shake out. And so, like you're in the you're in the NASCAR race, and you're you're not to the the green flag lap yet. So you're just getting in position. And then West Virginia and Oklahoma are going to play, and Ohio State, Michigan are going to play, and Alabama is going to play. Georgia in the SEC championship, and a lot of things are going to happen. And then that's when that's when you're going to see stuff shake out. So uh, let me get
0: to the question, which is probably why uh, there wasn't a lot of movement because they knew that you know. A lot of these teams are going to play each other and kill each other off anyway.
1: Yeah, there was, like you said, there wasn't – even though they beat a ranked team on the road, it wasn't the kind of win that like I, I think changed hugely the opinion people had about Ohio State, no. right? Um, John Wu at TWO underscore numeral four underscore W-U. What are all the scenarios that Ohio State wins out and doesn't make the college football playoff? Given how the season is playing out, this is question two. I care way more about beating Michigan than making the college football playoff. Do you think most Ohio State fans feel this way? This is a thing, John Wu, that we've talked about a lot over the years. I think in the playoff era, um, the playoff is, is so overwhelming. It is something that we talk about from week one. When they played TCU, we were talking about playoff stuff. Because you, you now enter a world where you don't have to go undefeated. It used to be in the BCS era. Basically, you had to go undefeated. And then if you lost one time, it was like, well, now we're in the pack with six one-lost teams. One of them's getting in. And, and so it's like, once you lost, if you weren't undefeated, once you lost, you started thinking about your rivalry game because you didn't know what was going to happen with the playoff. Now there, that there's four spots, the playoff positioning, you're much more open to it. So I think it has affected how people view rivalries. Um, again, when you hear this Oklahoma interview coming up, Oklahoma's already lost to its rival. Its losses to Texas. Oklahoma still might make the playoff. Think about how you would feel as an Ohio State fan if you lose to Michigan but make the playoff. Now, that's not going to happen this year because you have to beat Michigan to get in the playoff. But that's a very complicated thing. Steven, you grew up in Columbus. Do you have a gut feeling on... The idea of if a fan was forced to choose, make the playoff with a loss to Michigan or miss the playoff with a win over Michigan, what would you pick? And I know for a fact we've had this conversation before, but Steven
0: hasn't had it, so he gets to check in. I'm going to say this, because of the who the two teams are involved, they'll take the Michigan win any day. I think we live in one of those places where Columbus, is, Ohio State fans and Michigan fans are two fan bases where it's, we can go... We can lose every game of the season, but if we beat Team X, we've had a successful season. And yeah, you want to win a national championship? Everyone wants to win a national championship. But if you lose to your rival, the entire along the way, the bragging rights aren't there, and they can still go. Yeah, we still beat you guys this year. Yeah, you won a national championship. That's cool and all, but remember, we still have the one up on you guys for the next three hundred and sixty-five days. And for a team that literally has a clock in its locker room that counts down to the next Michigan game and literally restarts the moment kickoff comes around, beating Michigan is a lot more important than getting to into the playoffs and winning a national championship. Because let's say, like, you, you, you're you still going to play in a solid bowl game. It's not like you're going to play in, you know, uh, you're probably going to play, play in a Rose Bowl if things shake out the right way. You'll probably play in a Rose Bowl, which is still a solid road game, a bowl game. I'm sorry. So, yeah, the Michigan win is... One hundred times more important than winning a national championship. So, uh, um, there's there's two things I, I think about
1: that, and one of them is I think a point I've made before, and then I'm going to attempt to repute to refute the uh, point I made before. And I need to double check something as I refute myself. Oh man, I mean, we're can't believe gonna I just said refute. refute I refute myself on a on a podcast. It makes it kind of dirty. Um, yeah. I always thought if Ohio State had a year where it like won the national championship but lost to Michigan, people in Michigan would would make t-shirts that said something like, You won a trophy, but we won the game. You know, like yeah. and they would be like, Oh, like it would it would almost be like they would taunt you. You're the national champion, and they would taunt you by being like, Oh yeah, you're the national champion. Well, we beat the national champion, right? So that's sort of I, I agree with everything You just said Sort of based on that principle Because can you imagine The idea of You win the national title And like It's not ruined But your rival Gives you crap about it However Do you remember Like the video That Alabama made last year I think Jalen Hurts Made a bet yeah. With Charles Barkley Yeah And he had to wear An Auburn something I think Because Auburn beat Alabama and then after Auburn beat Alabama, Alabama won the national championship. And Jalen Hurst made a video where he like was wearing the Auburn thing he was supposed to wear. With and then the he walked the away bench. the national title trophies in his backpack. Yeah. So when I watched that, I thought, man, that's a pretty good answer to the you won the title, but we won the rivalry. So then that made me think Ohio State fans in that situation might be able to do the same thing. And Michigan fans, could
0: do the same thing
1: to right. Ohio State.
0: No? I don't think so. Not You've, with this robbery. But that may Auburn, work there. But, but, is but is it that? Di- I think uh, it is. And I think like for a lot of like... So, I don't like, know,
1: man. They're in the same state, man. You're not
0: allowed to use the letter M during the week, Doug. They poisoned trees down there, man. Yeah, I think... Okay. There have been no plants that have been okay, killed but, in the Michigan-Ohio I mean, State the, rivalry. That we know of.
1: That we know <laughs> that of. That we know
0: of. I think... No, it's totally different with this. Like, You can't use a whole letter in the alphabet. Know. You realize how many words have the letter M in them? And you yeah, just have I, to
1: put a red X in it instead? I've written columns with no M's in them. I do realize it. It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> My last name has an M in it. So does mine. So it's, it's like... It's, it's. So does the word game. And mission. there's a lot of... there's. I, I'll tell you, it made me question it. Because I think most people would say... I don't know that anybody would dispute that Ohio State-Michigan is the number one rivalry in college football. A lot of people say it's the number one rivalry in American sport. Um, but Auburn-Alabama is number two. Oklahoma-Texas I don't think is number two. In college football? In college in, football. I'm going to yeah. say it. No, football, yeah, not right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to have a Red Sox-Yankees conversation <laughs> right now. But I think in college football, people would say Alabama-Auburn is number two. So, like – of course, Alabama's going to do something because you have to, but, but it just made me think. It was such a good video. You guys have seen it. It made me think. I don't know. Let's answer Jean Wu's first question. What are the, all the scenarios that Ohio State wins out and doesn't make the college football playoffs? So I don't think there's many. I think there's two. Both of them are that Clemson, Notre Dame, and Alabama win out, right? No, there's three. I'm sorry. There's three. So. I think if Clemson or Notre Dame loses, then you get into a complicated scenario. And, and how do we know? But but if those three win out, then you're competing only for one spot. So why would a 12-1 Ohio State team not get that spot? Number one, they get there in, because, well, now I'm going against my scenario. If Alabama loses the SEC championship game to Georgia and... Notre Dame and Clemson are undefeated. Your four teams are going to be Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. Correct. Because if Alabama gets to the SEC championship game undefeated and loses, they're in. They're in. And then Georgia has to go as a one-loss SEC champ that beat Bama. They have to be in. Yeah. And you're going to lose to the two undefeated teams. Another one is if the Big 12 champ is a one-loss team, that means that we're assuming there's a very good chance Oklahoma and West Virginia are going to play twice to end the regular season. They're the, to end the season. They're the regular season finale and the very possibly the Big 12 championship as well. So they can't split. You want those teams to split. If you're an Ohio State fan, if one of the if one team wins both of those, and that's two good wins, even if those against the same team, that's going to be two top 15 wins for that team. Ohio State could lose out I don't think they would definitely lose out to the big 12 champ but they could and the other is that like the win over Michigan is is awesome for Ohio State but for whatever reason Washington State wins its last three games by 90 and just looks like one of the four best teams in the country Ohio State's behind Washington State right now Ohio State's 10 Washington State is eight. I think Ohio State will pass Washington State almost no matter what by beating Michigan. Unless something crazy happens with Washington State, I don't think that's very likely. I think the main ones are you just lose the eye test to the Big 12 champ or Alabama loses in the SEC championship. But then, you know, you still need Clemson and Notre Dame to be undefeated because if one of those teams would get upset in the next two weeks, all of a sudden now you're dealing with some strange things that you don't know what's going to happen. Is, is, does that
0: sound right to you, Stephen? I think so. I, I'm still going to forever ride the bus of I'm taking the one-loss Big Ten team over the one-loss Big 12 team just because of the strength of the conferences. I'm always going to ride that bus. No, that's probably why I'm not a committee member because it's not a very biased way of looking no, at it. No, but things. I think it's reasonable. I-, I bet you there are people in that room who think like that. Which is a part of the reason why Big 12 hasn't had the consistency of getting into there because their conferences isn't good at football right now. So They're not uh, good at defense. That's for sure. Yeah, and so – yet it's great if you're like if there was like fantasy college football because then like they would be beautiful every single week like they'd be the kansas city chiefs just putting up ridiculous yeah for real chiefs might win the super bowl (laughs) but yeah no
1: you're right that's a good comparison i i I think you're right and it's one of those things we always have to remember there's there's 13 different opinions in that room so i guarantee you there are people in there who think like that is it but is it seven of them is it enough to get the big 10 champ over the top almost no matter what you, you still want to be in a position where you feel like you can win the eye test. I still think it is reasonable to say if Ohio State wins out, they're probably in. How much would
0: how Ohio State beats Michigan matter? A lot.
1: I mean, just like, just like the same thing in 2014, the idea that they didn't just beat Wisconsin, but they beat them 59 nothing mm-hmm. mattered. So if you beat Michigan on the last-second field goal at home, it's also one of those things where when you get in this playoff discussion, you want things to be as difficult as possible. So if you win... You get as much credit as possible, but you also don't want it to be so difficult that you lose. So for instance, it's home, right? If this was on the road, you'd get more credit for beating Michigan at Michigan. Of course, it would be harder to beat Michigan at Michigan. So if you beat, if it's the 2016 game and you beat Michigan on a, on a weird spot at home in a nail biter in double overtime, then that's going to be, that's going to be not as, that might not get you in as much as a. 34-10 34-10 win gets you in. I do think eye test is going to matter a lot um, and score is going to matter a lot. So I, I would feel very good. Do we agree Ohio State at 12-1 and one should feel very good? Not a guarantee, but especially you saying you think they'd get in ahead of the Big 12. If you think that and you're not really worried about Washington State, if you think they're going to get a hit in ahead of the Big 12 almost no matter what, really the only thing you're worried about is an upset in the SEC championship.
0: which is very unlikely
1: so then you should feel really good because then you're basically it's like win out and bet on Bama that's a pretty good bet all right let's do this we're gonna take a break we're gonna have a 15 minute interview 14 minutes or so with Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman Um, we're gonna delve into what life is like for Oklahoma fans right now and it's gonna sound very familiar to what it is like for Ohio State fans so Enjoy this with Ryan, and then we will be back with more of your questions, and then we'll get to some Dwayne Haskins talk here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, quick note before we get back to Buckeye Talk, I'm a little distracted right now, I'll admit, because I am at shopohiostate.com, and I'm looking at everything that's 25% off, and that's everything. I click the Shop Now button for the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, 25% off everything. Caps, they're 18 bucks instead of 24. I'm looking at a cool t shirt, uh, Nike women's cotton short sleeve scoop t shirt says scarlet and gray on it. It's a red shirt, scarlet and gray and dark gray lettering. That's 19.50 instead of 26. Start your Christmas shopping now. 25% off the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble bookstore. You can go to their store. On North High Street, 1598 North High Street, or you can do it online, shopohiostate.com. Get 25% off everything for you, for your friends, for your family, sweatshirts, hats, scarves, socks, gym shorts, anything you need. Go to shopohiostate.com. Happy to welcome Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman back to Buckeye Talk. We talked with Ryan back when the Buckeyes and Sooners were playing in 2016 and 2017, and now they are potentially facing off again, not on the field, but in the eyes of the college football playoff committee. So Ryan, just off the top, the reason for this is we're trying to get a vibe for what Oklahoma fans and people there are thinking about their team at the moment, do Do people in Oklahoma think Oklahoma's going to make the playoff?
2: I think there's a lot of apprehension here about that because of Oklahoma's offense is as good as anybody, not only in the country, but as good as any historically that Oklahoma has had. They're just absolutely fantastic, but as good as they are, the defense is equally as bad. And I think there's a a lot of people around here who don't think they're going to make the playoff because of that. They've heard a lot of talk from the committee the last few years about Oklahoma's defense and how that's uh, kept them down uh, a little bit in relation to the playoff and feel like that this is a worse defense than even some of those ones that they've made the, the CFP with. So uh, there's, there's a lot of people who aren't feeling really comfortable about Oklahoma's standing uh, with the committee.
1: Ryan, the last couple weeks, Ohio State had a five point win. This is following their first loss to Purdue. They have the bye week. They have the five point win against Nebraska last week against Michigan State. It's a basically a tie game practically going to the fourth quarter. They eventually win by 20. Meanwhile, Oklahoma, the last two weeks has, they have a five point win against Texas Tech and a one point win against Oklahoma State. And in those two games, Oklahoma gave up a total of 93 points. The, the, the vibe around those two wins, is it, hey, great win to figure out a way to pe- to beat Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, or is it more, yeah, Oklahoma won, but what is wrong with these guys? Yeah, I think just, uh,
2: just by, you can judge it by the press conference yesterday, Monday, that we had talking with Lincoln Riley. Of course, nobody's going to really be talking about this game this week, but it was a lot of questions about the defense, a lot of questions about... How are you going to fix it, Uh, not only long-term, which is obviously a big concern, the fact that they don't have a full-time defensive coordinator now, but also are you able to piece it together and, and get through the end of this year and keep your goals intact, which is the reason that he fired Mike Stoops in the first place was... Because they still had a chance to uh, to get into the playoff, to win the Big Twelve, and and everything that goes along with those two things. So I think that's much more along the lines of what's wrong with this team than uh, who the Sooners made it through uh, a pretty tough two game stretch without uh, falling again.
1: Ryan, I'll ask this of you, and then also just sort of what you, the vibe you get from the fan base. Do you think? Oklahoma can and will beat West Virginia twice to end the regular season and again in the Big 12 championship? And do fans think Oklahoma is very capable of doing that? Or is there a lot of apprehension around that? Because clearly, and that's the thing here with Ohio State, whenever you're talking about the team you cover in the playoff conversation, it comes with the caveat, if they win out, if they win out, because if they don't win out, then the discussion's over anyway. Do people in Oklahoma think and do you think that Oklahoma can win out?
2: Yeah, I think I'll start off with the second part of that. I think there's a lot of apprehension over West Virginia, especially because of Will Greer, because of what that offense is under Dana Holgerson and the ability to beat it once, let alone twice in the span of uh, eight days. So I don't think there's a lot of confidence around here in that. Now, can they? I think certainly it seems like West Virginia has, has uh, looked really good the last couple weeks. But before that, there were questions about how their offense was functioning. Oklahoma has struggled uh, mightily to to defend the pass, defend really good passing quarterbacks, as we've seen. I mean, heck, Taylor Cornelius from Oklahoma State isn't a really good passing quarterback, wasn't accurate at all last Saturday, and still carved him up for over 500 yards. So uh, I think they could. Will they? My confidence in that is much, much lower. Now, that said, if they're able to get through them once, Maybe if Iowa State, uh, if some things fall their way with Iowa State beating Texas, you know, maybe West Virginia going to, to Stillwater this week, Oklahoma State's shown that they're sort of a Jekyll and Hyde type team, then maybe you get Iowa State again, you feel a little bit better about that, although Hakeem Butler uh, carved them up pretty good uh, from a receiver standpoint early in this season, but Oklahoma was able to get out with the win, uh, but that West Virginia
1: twice in uh, two weeks would be tough. I think in big Ten country here, there is a lot of discussion about the Big 12 based on the belief that, obvious, it's obvious to everybody, if Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame win out, the three of them are in. So maybe you're rooting for a loss from one of those three, although nobody thinks Alabama's going to lose. But if that's the case, if those three win out and they're in, um, maybe Washington State gets in the mix, maybe, but it feels like the fourth playoff spot would come down to potentially a one-loss Big Ten champ versus a one-loss Big 12 champ, if that's the point that we get to. People here are talking about Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, are people watching and wondering about the Big Ten? Are they looking at Michigan and Ohio State? Are the people there viewing it the same way? Oh, yeah, I think there's no doubt about it, especially when you
2: talk about Michigan and what they're doing. There's been some talk about Ohio State. I think that'll certainly kick up as uh, we get started uh, with with that game week here uh, next week. But, yeah, there's definitely a a wandering eye toward toward that conference and how it relates to what Oklahoma's trying to do getting into the playoffs for the third time in, in four seasons. And there's, I think there's some concern about Washington State, um, but the main focus externally among OU fans is on the Big Ten and what happens there. I think everybody believes that if Michigan were to win out, then, then they're clearly, I think, the, the number four team. But if Ohio State's able to, to win that, it's going to be a really interesting discussion. I think a lot of people around here cheered when uh, Oklahoma State Beat Texas, and uh, I think that could be pretty wrong headed of them uh, to, to do that because Oklahoma needed Texas in a prime position to be a really good win to close the year if they're able to play in the Big 12 championship. Obviously, that's out the window right now. They still could play, but it's not going to mean as much as it would have otherwise. But uh, Oklahoma needed Texas and West Virginia to be
1: in the best possible positions, and that uh, hasn't been the case so far. It is weird, Ryan, and I think like guys like us are in the same spot. You've got to tell the fan base that you cover, you must root for your rival. Michigan right now is Ohio State's best friend because certainly Michigan is positioned. But if Ohio State beats Michigan, they're going to absorb a lot of that good feeling around Michigan. So you want Michigan to win. And same thing for Oklahoma. You know, once... Once you have a game, your game with Texas is over, you got to root for Texas. you got to root for the best teams in your conference to look good nationally so that your losses don't look so bad and your wins look even better. It's the reality in the playoff, but it sounds like you find what I find here. Sometimes that's difficult for fans to get accustomed to.
2: Yeah, it is. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's really hard to get an OU fan to root for Texas. It's really hard to get an Ohio State fan to root for Michigan. But, you know, if, if this thing plays out the way a lot of us think it does and, and Oklahoma makes it to the Big 12 title game and either plays West Virginia or Texas, honestly it doesn't really matter at that point, That is means much less than Ohio State getting to the end of the season and beating a, a Michigan team who's only lost to that point was to Notre Dame, who's also going to be a playoff team. So that could be what decides – uh, this fourth playoff berth is uh, Ohio State beating the Wolverines or Oklahoma beating a West Virginia and Texas team that's been a little bit battered uh, already.
1: Ryan, I think we know college football programs change from year to year, but but I think at the moment, and again, I don't think I'm alone here, the top five teams from last year, the four playoff teams, in an Oklahoma—I mean, I'm sorry—Ohio State finished fifth last year. To me, those are not the five best teams, but the five best programs in college football right now. Over this this era that we're in right now, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and now what Georgia has become under Kirby Smart—I would throw Georgia in there. In that world, are Is is it playoff or bust with Oklahoma fans? Is that the threshold for what is a successful season is to at least make the playoff? Or, you know, if Oklahoma finishes with one loss but just gets left out of the playoff and goes and wins a good bowl game, will that be enough? Last year, Ohio State was fifth. They went and beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. But I think there were a lot of people that were kind of disappointed Ohio State wasn't in the playoff. What's the threshold with Oklahoma right now?
2: Yeah, I think it's sort of uh, not quite championship or bust, but certainly playoff or bust. And that's a changing dynamic here as we get into uh, a little bit deeper into this playoff era. That At one point you could lose a game and it wasn't just national championship was the end-all be-all, but now it's become so focused on those four teams in the playoff at the end of the season. If you get beat by one, then you can still chalk it up and say, Hey, this is a really, really good season. We made the playoff. But if Oklahoma didn't make the playoffs this year, they will have lost to Texas, their biggest rival, failed to make the playoff and they probably uh, go play, you know, a team like L S U in the Sugar Bowl, or if they get beat out go into even the, the Alamo Bowl or potentially like a Peach Bowl. I don't think there's a lot of Oklahoma fans who would be really fired up and thrilled about that the way they would have been back in the day when they would have gone to the Orange Bowl anyway and played a a marquee opponent down there and everybody would have got to hang out on South Beach.
1: Yeah, sounds very familiar. That's why I wanted to do this, Ryan, is let Ohio State fans have a glimpse of what it's like elsewhere, <laughs> and I think it turns out what it's like elsewhere is just like the way it is here. Um The standards are high, and I think Urban Meyer accepts that. He wants that. I, I would imagine Lincoln Riley accepts that, and he wants that, right? He wants the, the, the threshold for Oklahoma to be a playoff team every year, right?
2: Oh, yeah, because if the threshold for Oklahoma wasn't this, wasn't You know, winning the Big 12 every year and and making the playoff. Then the fact is, he wouldn't get be paid. You know, around five million dollars to do it. There's a reason he gets paid all that money. There's a reason why his profile is so high. Just like the same way it is at Columbus with Urban Meyer, and Lincoln Riley embraces that. uh, Certainly, is it frustrating at times for him and for Oklahoma coaches? Sure, because they like to to say, "Hey, we we had a great season, regardless of." They finished short, but uh, at the same time, along with those expectations comes so much that makes Lincoln Riley who he is and makes this football program what it is.
1: Two more questions for you. One last one about the playoff, and then one that a person from Cleveland.com could not have an Oklahoma writer on a podcast and not <laughs> ask about. The first one is, Ryan, if I had to guess right now, I would say no, Ohio State does not win out. They will lose to Michigan, and Michigan, I think, will be a playoff team. But I would give still Ohio State at least like a 40% chance in that Ohio State-Michigan game. So I think that that would be a very good Big Ten playoff candidate then in a 12-1 and Big Ten champion Michigan. If your guess right now, does Oklahoma win out?
2: You know, I would put the percentages at less than 50. I'd probably put it... Uh probably about 25% that they went out because I think you're talking about a couple of, uh, well Ohio, playing West Virginia in uh, Morgantown the day after Thanksgiving, I'd probably put that at a 50-50 given just how great Oklahoma's offense is playing right now. Um, I think that's sort of been overshadowed a little bit by how bad their defenses looked. Kyler Murray's been fantastic. Their run game's been incredible. So I, I think it's hard to put them less than a 50-50, but about having to do it back-to-back weeks, it gets much, much more difficult. So i I'd put it uh, probably 25 to 30% right now for them to win out. Not not uh, an impossible task, but one that's going to be really
1: tough. Okay. Last question. You know what it is. Do you, do <laughs> You're going to you... ask me about uh, Dominique Alexander for the Browns, <laughs> right? Are we getting Lincoln, man? You sending Lincoln to Cleveland or what, Ryan? <laughs> Editor's note, the beginning of Ryan's answer blipped out on the recording, but you didn't miss anything. It's going to pick up about three seconds into his answer. Sorry, my fault. Uh,
2: that he would, that are realistic, that he would seriously consider uh, leaving Oklahoma for right now. And I think there's there's been a debate over here uh, and he's been pretty open about it publicly, talking about how he loves college football, but he's never going to say never. But the two jobs would be the Dallas Cowboys given his background where he grew up, things like that. and and the Cleveland Browns, uh, Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield are incredibly close. They were close from uh, day one when Lincoln Riley came aboard, and that bond just continued to build and build and build over their time together in Oklahoma. I, I think certainly there's some intrigue. For Lincoln Riley and whether what he does at Oklahoma, what he did with Baker Mayfield, would work at the NFL level, I think you're seeing that so much more and more over the last few years as college as NFL programs have taken from what college programs have done, especially uh, teams like OU. I think it's going to be uh, a really intriguing after the season to see how Lincoln Riley balances this right now I would say there's a, uh, I'd put it, the money slightly on Lincoln Riley staying uh, certainly if they don't win a championship that would be a little bit more because I think he wants to win a college football uh, national championship but this opportunity is probably not going to come around again to coach a guy that you that coach for that as long as he coached Baker Mayfield so I, I think it's going to be a really strong draw for him
1: Ryan Aber, love your work, love your insight. Thanking, you, thank you for taking time out of your day. And and you can tell uh, Lincoln that Cleveland says hello, and you can tell all the Oklahoma fans that Ohio State fans are just as angst-ridden as they are. So you know, nine and one, that's pretty good. But man, that's not necessarily what people are looking for.
2: Yeah, that's not what uh, my reader readers want to hear right
1: now. Is yeah, it? yeah. Um, Ryan, thanks so much for your help
2: yeah thanks for having me on as
1: always all right thanks again to ryan aber let's get back to your questions alan kitchen a kitchen 87 what is the percent likelihood that ohio state plays a complete game against maryland and blows their doors off is this team too much of an enigma to even make a cogent prediction man you said enigma and cogent stevens i think you have strong feelings about how you <laughs> think this game's going to unfold what are the chances amazing. of that
0: that was amazing
1: cogent good word
0: wow Shout out to a <laughs> hey, kitchen with the big words. Jesus, I think this is a blowout game. I think they need to blow this team out as well, and I think they kind of they need they know that they need to blow this team out. They have in the last two weeks they've played teams that one you should have handily beaten, and the other one you beat by twenty, but you didn't really beat them by twenty. I think this team, especially heading into Michigan Week, they need a game where seven minutes left in the game, Dwayne Haskins is sitting down drinking water or Gatorade or whatever they're drinking over there, relaxing, because you're thinking, let's get our starters out so nobody gets hurt. They need a game like that. I think this is kind of set up for that to happen. Dwayne Haskins is going home to the school he originally committed to before he decommitted and committed to Ohio State. I think this he's got a chance to break some records this week. I'm going to be writing a story about that, so look out for that. And I think this is a perfect game for this team to handily beat a team because I don't think this is a team you need to be messing around with.
1: Yeah, their quarterback just tore his ACL, so I think they've been playing two. They only can play one now. Um, Ryan Day said they're a top thirty defense. I mean, coaches love to say things about the opposition. I think they do have some players. You know, they've lost some bad games. Their their Big Ten wins are against the other. Are against bad Big Ten teams. They haven't beaten a good Big Ten team yet. Um, I, I agree with the idea that they're an enigma, but I also agree with the idea like it would make a lot of sense to go blow the doors off somebody right now, given sort of where this team is. And I think that's the point of, not that they don't always want to do it, but like I think they maybe need to do it. And I think...
0: They're a little ticked off right now, and I think it's very possible that it's setting up
1: for that. I think you might be right.
0: Yeah, I think 2015 is a solid example of this. They lost to Michigan State, and then well, Michigan got the wrath of the fact that they lost to Michigan State. But they
1: didn't do that this time. That's why I thought they would do that to Nebraska. That's why I was shocked that they did not do that to
0: Nebraska because that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, I think they were so busy trying to emphasize certain things that it – neglected some other things and nebraska was able to stay in the game a little bit longer than maybe they should have stayed in the game i think this time around i think this year in general the last couple of weeks they've been trying to improve certain facets of their team now i think you've had a game where you emphasize a run you had a game where you've emphasized defense Dwayne hastings has been solid for the majority of this season Let's put it all together now against a team that you should be able to easily put it all together now so that we can take this momentum and then take it and do it against a team that, for, for more purposes than, uh, than others, this team holds our ticket to a possible seed in the seat in the college football playoff. So what's the percent likelihood? I'm going to go. He wants the percent. I'll go
1: eighty-five percent. That's really good. I, yeah. That's high. I'd say like seventy, but I'm I'm I don't disagree with anything that anybody that you have said, um, Greg. I'm acknowledging your question at Greg with two with two G's, three G's total, two at the end, C seven four. He wants to know about what other guys might leave early. We always do that Michigan week. We will have a post-Michigan week making predictions on guys. We think we'll leave early. We acknowledge your question. And we also acknowledge your question about which coaches are which Thanksgiving food. And I'm going to save that one, too. I just gave you a little heart. I see, gave you a little see. heart on Twitter wow. to save that. We'll save it for Thanksgiving week next week, Greg. Good questions. Christian Zilstra, He's coming to town, baby. KD, CR Chizzy. I'm making the eleven-hour trip to Columbus for the Michigan game next weekend, and want to maximize the trip. I'm also catching Buckeye hockey. Any other suggestions for things to do, eat, or see? I haven't been back to Columbus in roughly six years, so I've lived here in Columbus for uh, thirteen years, but I have a terrible memory, and uh, I just like to go to malls and uh, chain <laughs> restaurants. So, Christian Zilstra, I don't Dead know life. if you want to go to malls and chain restaurants. Like, you could go to Chili's. I don't know if you want to come to Columbus and go to Chili's. You could come and, like, go to, like, uh you know, Bed Bath & Beyond if you want oh to. God. I don't know if it's like, hey, you went to Columbus, what would you do? I went to Chili's and Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm not sure that's the story you want to tell your friends when you get home. So, Stephen, do you have any better recommendations? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just named the most dad
1: options ever. Have you been to Bed Bath and Beyond lately? They have stuff stacked to the ceiling. It's thirty feet tall of stuff.
0: Father figure, ladies and gentlemen. If you want some pizza, go to Late Night Slice. It's amazing pizza, especially like after you've had a long night of when you're drunk, is hanging, what he's trying hanging to say. out with your friends, and having a social life. I mean, kind of depend Like, this is a hard one. Like, what are you? Or is it like just you, or are you coming with like a family or something? Because that's like gonna give a different. I'm 24, so like my range of like having fun, and I don't know your age, so your range of like having fun may be like well, totally different than well, mine. Let's
1: let Christian Zilstra live through Stephen Means for a moment, even if he's not typically what he would do. What's the Stephen Means Columbus tour?
0: well, I just moved back here, so this is hard for me too. I'd say a lot of new stuff is going on in the short north. Um, I can't name a lot of the places right now this is because I've been back in Columbus for all of 14 days. Yeah. But, yeah, I think just go to the short north and explore. There's a lot of new stuff that's down there. I know there's some brunch spots down there that are really, really good. You just said brunch. There's nothing wrong with brunch. They go to brunch on Sex in the
1: City. That's a thing they do. Hey, uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there's uh, everyone goes to Hot Chicken Takeover now, right? That's like a cliched thing. But it's good. It's spicy chicken. You'll have fun. You'll have fun. We'll also get other people to send you recommendations. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go somewhere other than the mall or uh, somewhere when you're uh, not quite yourself for late night pizza. <laughs> this is a good one. WDK19 at WDK cards is the thing. Two questions. How good would this offense be if they completely switched to a pro style offense? I mean, full under center stuff or pistol look at the very least. And, um, and then we want to get to, he wants to get to basketball, which we'll delve into briefly. I don't. Mm. I think maybe better. I just don't think they could ever fully do it. I thought maybe they would do more of it. Um, our old friend Bill Landis was actually asking this week and asking Urban Meyer about that pistol formation, which is the short shotgun where you get the tailback behind the quarterback rather than the regular shotgun where the tailback is standing flat-footed next to the quarterback and he's he's getting the football standing still instead of being able to run downhill with the ball. Guys love going downhill yeah. and and and. Bill had some stats that they ran better when they did the pistol. So everybody wants to get downhill. I do think there's a world where a pro-style play-action passing game, Dwayne Haskins could really execute. It's just one of those things... You're asking for something that was never going to totally happen. They were never going to totally get away from what they do. And again, I think people need to understand a lot of those those two-handed handoffs that they use that people think are zone reads. They're not reads. It's just how they hand off. It's how they run some of their inside zone straight runs anyway. So I think a lot of times if you're wondering why are they reading it, why are they reading it? They're not. Uh, Braxton Miller was here in 2012 and 2013. He was doing those handoffs. He was almost never reading it. He was just giving it. So I think a lot of times Dwayne is giving it when you think he's reading it, and it's a straight give. But the idea, if your question is really about getting those running backs downhill, it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue that that would – they have some tailbacks who I think would like it too, but I just think you're asking, it's a square peg round hole thing. It's not going to work.
0: Yeah, I think – Not with Urban. From a large viewpoint, the only person that's really, really going to benefit from this is Haskins. You know, you got. Do you not think the tailbacks would benefit? They would, but like it's not like it's it's a lot of why like a lot of their struggles are simply coming from the fact that Haskins cannot run the ball. Simply, so like it kind of limits what you can do because like how they do those two hand to handoffs, they're not reads. Well, the defense knows they're not reads, right. too, so they're just going to key in on the running backs every single
1: time. But that's a bad combo when it, it's not a read, but it's also not downhill. Like,
0: you're 0 for 2 on those. Right, which is why I'm saying if, if Haskins had any mobile mobile ability, it would change that a little bit. But they because, know he doesn't. Right, and that's, I think, what the – in so in a situation – Right, with Haskins as your quarterback, yeah, pro style would work. But if you had – Let's just put Tate Martell out there just for the fun of it. If Tate Martell's in there, well, it, it works a lot no, better off. It's, yeah, it doesn't. Sure. It really doesn't. It won't matter as much whether or not the running backs are running downhill or not because now there's the the threat of the guy who's handing the ball off might keep him right. Take it right. But I mean that's the whole that's been Urban Meyer that's been the case for Urban Meyer for fourteen years. Whatever he's done, it
1: right. should they have gone more pro style with Dwayne this year. I think maybe. And I, I like. it's one of those, I think maybe they should have done it. I also think maybe they just could not do it. It's like they don't have a playbook for that stuff.
0: No. You don't, so, you are who you are. And I think Haskins being the type of quarterback he is, you trying to switch it up a little bit. But you only switch up so much of what you've been doing that's been working for you for de- almost it, a decade. It's been a hard – the reason that it's looked like this is because it is
1: hard. It's hard for them – to make this transition. I asked Urban Meyer about it a month ago. Are you completely comfortable with a quarterback who can't run? And he's not. But that's who they have. That's who they want. They don't want to trade Dwayne Haskins. They wouldn't. If they wanted to trade Dwayne Haskins, they'd put Tate Martell in right now. They love Dwayne Haskins, but they're, they're doing the best they can. And it, and And it has not come up. And it's on the list of things that I'm probably not going to get to this year. In 2010, in Urban Meyers' last year at Florida, they had more of a dropback passer than John Brantley. He did not run at all. They used two future NFL tight ends as like wildcat quarterbacks who rammed the ball into the end zone running the ball. Uh, Jordan Reed, now with uh, the Redskins. And who's the guy who's so good with uh, the Bears right now? Trey Burton. Yeah, Trey. Trey Burton and Jordan Reed were Florida—like, they weren't quarterbacks, but they played quarterback because they ran the ball with those guys. And John Brantley, the dropback guy, threw and did not run at all. And, like, it wasn't great. And I think they've learned—Urban has not talked about that, and I have not pressed him on that. He has not said the word John Brantley this whole time. And when actually John Brantley is basically the only other time he's tried this, to my knowledge— um, and it did not go real well that year it's gone much better this year it was just it was never going to be smooth and it was never going to be perfect but it was what you needed to do it was worth making the switch it's the reality and it's not natural but I think they're doing the best they can and like yes pro style Dwayne Haskins would be better in a pro style system I don't think they could ever run a pro style system under Urban Meyer at Ohio State so You're asking for something that would never happen. This is for Steven, too. Can we talk about basketball? Great win last Wednesday. What are realistic expectations for this squad?
0: They play Creighton Thursday. So I was on a podcast earlier this morning entitled Ohio versus the World, and we talked about this a little bit. I think this Ohio State team is better than what, the preseason rankings gave them simply because their defense is amazing. They've held two teams now under 35% shooting from the field. Now they shot ridiculous, especially this Sunday against Purdue Fort Wayne. Um, if I'm saying that right, they changed their name. It's no longer IPFW. It's just Purdue Fort Wayne. Really? Yeah. Cause they got at me about that too. Nice. But um, they shot the ball amazing, especially in the second half. CJ Jackson decided he wanted to imitate Stephen Curry for a little bit, but They're not going to shoot like that all year, but I think that defense is going to be able to carry them a lot further this year than I think people expected coming into the season. I think they're going to win that Creighton game. Um, I'm not going to give a score yet. I'm going to wait till I put my preview out to put my score on it, but I do think they win that Creighton game. Now, interesting fact, McDermott, their coach, almost ended up here.
1: Yeah, that's weird. I think Ohio State got the better end of that one. Well, Um, yeah.
0: So they were the whole thing last year
1: was they were picked 12th and they finished second in the Big Ten. They were Mm -hmm. picked eighth this year. We're only two games in. They haven't played a Big Ten game, but but it feels like to you maybe this is more like a top half of the Big Ten team than a number eight team.
0: Yeah, and Jackson alluded to this last year. It was a lot of the same guys with a whole new coaching staff, which I think was what was part of the reason why they were ranked so low. Get a year to get acclimated with each other, and they finished second. This time around. A lot of those players are still here. Plus, uh, Holtman has gotten a couple of his guys in who all look amazing. Dwayne Washington Jr. can shoot the lights off the ball. Luther Muhammad is a heck of a defender and actually wants to play defense. He actually used the analogy, if you score 20 and I score 20, well, both of us have zero points because we both gave up the same amount as, as we scored. So nobody technically scored. I think that... Be- that mixture alone is going to help this team in the long run. So, yeah, I think this is a better team than just eighth in the Big Ten.
1: The other thing that happened last year is that Kata Bates D up was magic. Who Who's the guy? And that was the whole thing with, with, with Kata is that, mm. it was like, well, if he's healthy, he can be this. And then he was healthy, and then he was that. Who is the guy that is a, a potentially uh, like an all Big Ten caliber talent on this team?
0: Two guys. <clears throat> One, Caleb Wesson, the offense is going to run through him. Uh He was in a little bit of foul trouble on Sunday, so that obviously didn't happen. But he's still – I'm pretty sure he finished with 15 points and like seven rebounds, either that game or Cincinnati. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But Caleb Wesson for sure just because the offense is going to flow through him. But also C.J. Jackson has been solid this start. He didn't shoot it well against Cincinnati, but down the stretch, he made some clutch plays to kind of seal that game for him. And then uh, Sunday against Purdue Fort Wayne – Career high, 25 points, also had six rebounds and five assists. I think those two guys are – I think they're best guys, and I think those are two guys who can be all the Big Ten guy, type of guys. Because if you're going to be in the top half of the Big
1: Ten, you've got to have all a Big Ten.
0: I don't know if they – like, yeah, Cato was a, also a NBA quality player. He just wasn't healthy. I don't know if they have an NBA quality player on this team right now, but they do have guys who are Big Ten all-conference type guys. Okay. Good hoops talk. We'll get to more hoops talk as we
1: get rolling into this. I mean, it's next week's gonna be Michigan week. We're not talking hoops during (laughs) Michigan week. But then once they're, you know, they're they're gonna, and if they're in the Big Ten championship, we're not talking hoops during the Big Ten championship week. But then once we get to December, there's gonna be a lot of basketball talk. Justin O'Neill, O'Neill underscore Justin. Is Urban Meyer's need to be loved by those inside the program ultimately his downfall with the fans? unwillingness to bench senior players unwillingness to dismiss bad coaches etc you don't hear alabama players or coaches confessing their love for saban but he's worshiped by fans so i think i disagree with the premise of the question Um, (laughs) i'm not sure who you're wanting him to bench they only have six seniors that that play three receivers and three offensive linemen I, i i don't think that they are not benching Malcolm Pridgen out of loyalty. I think they're not benching Malcolm Pridgen because they believe that this these five guys are their five best offensive linemen. Again, like Pete Warner won a job as a second-year guy. Isaiah Pryor won a job as a second-year guy. Thayer Munford is the starting left tackle as a second-year guy. There are a lot of older guys that are sitting behind younger guys who won jobs. So I, I don't think that is the case. And unwillingness to miss bad coaches. I've, ri- I've written about that. He has personal relationships with some of these coaches um, that I think make it difficult and complicate things. I, I, we, ever, we know where we stand with Bill Davis. I think that's a mistake. He hired the best man from his wedding, and I think Bill Davis has not been a good coach for two years. Um, I, I, I Again, I've written about that. I've said I think maybe when he wasn't feeling super healthy, he, he leaned on people that he knows um, rather than best coach available. I don't think he worries about if the players love him. Um And I think actually he's harder on guys than like Jim Trestle was in a lot of these ways. The big thing with Urban Meyer is you earn it, you earn it. And if you win, you, if you're a champion, you get steak. And if you're not, you get a hot dog and there's all these levels of everything. And that's always been a complaint with Urban Meyer that he treats people differently. And he's like, heck yeah, I treat people differently. You earn your treatment. So I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I honestly think that that he is loyal to his coaches. He takes pride in the fact that he's never fired a coach. That oh. cuts both ways. That cuts both ways. And it's very hard when every comparison is to Nick Saban, and Nick Saban is like holding up the national championship trophy, and it looks like he has a grimace on his face, and he's worried about <laughs> the recruiting <laughs> calls that he has to make six hours later. Uh, There's only one Nick Saban. And even though Urban Meyer is the second best, he has the second best career right now of any other active coach behind Nick Saban, he's not Nick Saban. And I think you can drive yourself crazy as a fan, and he could drive himself crazy if everything he did was only compared to Saban. So if it's like Saban is more ruthless, and we talked about it with the idea that Urban would not bench JT, for Dwayne last year and Saban yanked Jalen Hurts out of the national championship game at halftime and put into a and we wrote about it at the time. Like would Urban have ever done that? And I don't know I don't think he ever would have done that. But I don't think you can only see that as a negative. It's a choice that somebody makes. I think loyalty is often rewarded. I think loyalty can often also be your downfall. And I think it is a it is on the 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 blade of a knife, the difference between the two. Both things are true at the same time. So I think Urban is maybe more loyal than Nick Saban, and there are good and bad things to both of those. But, oh, by the way, Nick Saban might be the greatest college football coach of all time.
0: And so he's Saban because he's Saban. There's only one Greg Popovich. There's only one Bill Belichick. There's only one Nick Saban. So we can't compare everything. That And also, another thing, Urban Meyer, we've asked him questions this week about simply – Does he remind his players to have fun? So there is a bit of a hard ASS in him still. It's just, you know, there's only one Nick Saban who will act like that. And, yeah, yank his starting quarterback who got him to a national championship game, won him a national championship game, and you yank him in the second half for a guy who's unproven, and that just happens to work out. You can also say, what if that doesn't work out? What if Tua goes in there and completely screws everything up? And then you're having a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. Why would you yank out Hertz in the national championship game after all he's done for your organization? So what makes these coaches who they are is their decisions work. Yeah, that's true. And they did have a fallout. Jalen Hurts
1: was ticked off before the season and complaining to reporters. And Nick Saban got tired of quarterback questions. And then they just went with Tua. And, oh, by the way, this might be the best Alabama team ever. So I I think – they are defined by their choices. Everybody's defined by their choices. And the most successful people are just right more often than they're wrong. Um, but I just, I, I just would caution. And, and, and Ari and I were talking about this the other day because, because Ari and I really wrote this, uh, the first year we got going at cleveland.com with our Ohio State coverage in 2013. The first big thing we ever did was a series called Breaking Bama. And it was the idea that Ohio State could be poised to be like the best challenger to Ohio State. And it's a really good series. You guys read it. Go back and read it. Um, And then they broke them. They did. like They broke them. They beat them in 2014. They broke Bama. And they weren't supposed to. And then it was like, okay, now here we go. Ohio State is about to be poised to be the challenger to Alabama, maybe even be on their same footing. And that hasn't happened. Since 2014, that has not happened. And I wrote a story last year that right now it is clear the number one challenger to Bama is not Ohio State. It's Clemson. It's not even close. So Ohio State, we thought maybe they were going to be 1A, then we thought maybe they'd be 2, and right now they're at the best 3. So yeah, we can hold them to that standard if, if you want to. It's fair in some regard, but also it can't be the only standard you hold them to all the time. And if you only are talking about Urban compared to Nick Saban, and if you're only talking about Ohio State compared to Alabama... It would be like if the, if the Pittsburgh Steelers walked around and only compared themselves to the Patriots, you'd be a really good team and a really good franchise and program that would end up feeling bad about yourself because they have five Super Bowl rings and you only have two or three or whatever. Uh, that's just the world. So I just would caution all fans about that idea. Of, of You can do it some, don't only do that. LAD, Luke A. Davis, is Ohio State really going to be a home dog next weekend against Michigan? I think for sure. I don't know how we, I don't know how we get around that. At this point, yeah, no.
0: They're definitely the underdog, even though they're at home. That I mean, unless Michigan loses this week. I
1: mean, who's even who's Michigan even play this week? I don't even know. So I I'm mean sure like, they play
0: rutgers this week. No, they play no, rutgers no, 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 last no. week. They play.
1: So as long, so long as So as long as Michigan doesn't lose, I don't know. Um Justin O'Neill asked a Indiana. bunch of Indiana. Indiana,
0: okay. At home.
1: If they lose to Indiana, then maybe Ohio State's the favorite. Justin O'Neill asked a bunch of good questions. We can't get to all of them. And hanging around the team, does it feel like this coaching staff has chemistry? That is a really good question, because I think maybe the answer is no. And I think no Kerry Combs is part of that, because I think Kerry Combs had chemistry with everyone. I think no Luke Fickle is part of that, because Luke Fickle was here forever, and guys came and went, and Luke Fickle was always here. I think the whole Zach Smith thing, I don't know. If Zach, I think Zach Smith might have annoyed some people sometimes. Um, but it's another change. Uh, like, I, I think I was impressed by the way Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Greg Schiano held this together uh, while Urban Meyer was out. And Greg Schiano and Kevin Bilson, both, who both could have been named the acting head coach, praised Ryan Day for the way he handled things. And Ryan Day praised Kevin Wilson and Greg Schiano for the way they helped him. So I think those three guys did a really good job together. I think there's enough new people and the people that they are missing are we're big personalities and it's, it's fickle and combs i think fickle and combs are big losses and you feel the difference so i'm not in there hanging out i don't go to eat wings with the coaches but i i think i do feel that and justin i wish i could get to every question i'll try to get someone into some haze because you have some really good ones in here um david mcmahon at d mcmahon 65 you keep saying haskins is one and done so will he pull a, i'm sitting out the bowl game at least then tate will play do you think he would do that
0: this guy sounds like he's all in for Tate already.
1: Yeah, really. Is this Tate? Is, this is a D McMahon sixty five.
0: Is this Tate Martell's dad? <laughs> right. Um, what do you think? I think it depends on how things shape out. If this team gets in the college football playoff, then no, he's, I nobody's he's ever play. set out a playoff. Yeah, no, he's nobody play. ever will. I think <clears throat> depending on how he plays over these next two weeks, and say, let's say they went out in the regular season and go to the Big Ten championship, how he plays in this three game stretch. Will determine that because I think if he gets back to anywhere near the level he was at to the start of the season, and it seems like he's lean that his stock has risen to a level where it would really make absolutely no sense for him to come back to this school. I wouldn't be surprised if he sat out. You think he'd sit out the Rose Bowl?
1: Because we think Ohio State... if it's I mean, crazy. if Ohio State wins out... They're going to go to the Rose And they bowl. don't go to the playoff, they're going to the Rose Bowl. And even if they lose to Michigan, if Michigan goes to the playoff, Ohio State's going to the Rose Bowl. There's like about a two-thirds chance Ohio State's going to the Rose Bowl. Do you sit out the Rose... Like, Christian McCaffrey sat out, like, the Sun Bowl. Yeah. And Denzel Ward sat out the Cotton Bowl. Would Dwayne
0: Haskins sit out the Rose Bowl? I think so. Because it doesn't... First of all, Rose Bowl is the granddaddy of all bowls. I love that bowl game. I love everything about the Rose Bowl. But... Because we now have a football playoff, the thought around some of those bowl games has decreased. Because back then it was you were still playing in a you know a BCS bowl game. You just weren't playing in the one that was going to be for the national championship. But you were still playing in a BCS bowl game. Now, any bowl game that is not considered a part of the college football playoff for that season it doesn't hold the same level of weight. Anymore, so I would not be surprised if everything works out and then they end up going to the Rose Bowl if he sat out. It's one of those things fans just have to. I mean, you don't have to get, you
1: don't have to like it. You have to maybe get used to it. Um, Denzel Ward is as good of a guy as they come, and he sat out a bowl game and he went as the number four pick in the draft, and he might be the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Yeah. So like that was not, that was not a negative check mark against Denzel Ward's character. You know, this would not be a negative check mark against Dwayne Haskins' character. This is a multi-million dollar decision that guys make. And again, I was there when Jalen Smith got blocked by Taylor Decker and lost millions and millions of dollars mm-hmm. because his knee exploded in a bowl game that didn't really matter. So, I, I, we don't know. Like, would he do that? We don't know. Right? I mean, yeah, we have no, know. we have no idea. But I, I, I just would encourage, fans to attempt to not hold it against a player or take it as something that is some indication of their character when it really is something where um, if and if guys do that I think guys put it on the line for their teammates every practice every weightlifting session every game for two for three four five years however long they're here they do that every day Nothing is no one is more important than their teammates while they're here and when you get to that last thing, and at the last you can't win at all your team- I, if you're the only people that would maybe come before your teammates is your family and your teammates don't get to go up on that stage and say commissioner's hands with you,
0: with you. so but, but
1: why would you do that? Why are you protect what are you protecting? You're protecting the idea of I could make life-changing money for my family and it could all change because you got hit the wrong way. So I would hate to and again, I've, everyone knows the story by now. Denzel Ward's father passed away out of nowhere while he was at Ohio State. Denzel Ward is not making a decision against his teammates. He's making a decision for his mom. He's making a decision for his family. Yes for himself, but for his future children. He's, that's his decision. So I just I w- I would just encourage anybody to keep that in mind. Um and we all know that. We have people and things that are important to us in our lives, but nothing's more important than your family. And so if you put your teammates first for four years and you put your family first for one game, I, I would hope people could understand that. Douglas Delillo, does Steven have any hot takes? Let's hear some. What about food takes? What is usually grown oh, wow. So like what's your is there a thing like about sports or about the world? Or not related to food, but just like in general, that you're like, mm. oh, this drives me crazy, or I hate this, or like I think something. And if we if we don't have one now, we can we can have you write them down and come back next this week with some. Great. Question. It's, sometimes it's hard to have hot takes on the spot, and I get
0: that. Man, it is. Um, that's hard. Yeah, I'll answer that one next week. So ask it again next week, and I'll have an answer for we'll, you.
1: We'll 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 get back to it. Don't worry. Um, Mike Williams at Mikey Wills. How do you
0: guys feel about diet soda? I don't really drink pop. So like I don't think diet soda is the stupidest thing I've ever invented. Tell the people what you were drinking the other day at McDonald's. Oh, I was drinking um It was orange organic orange juice and it had in it superfood. It was green. Yeah, it was green it green. I was I juice, guys. Yeah. I had carrot juice this morning. Really? Yeah. Did you make your own carrot juice? I mean my mom made it today, but so, she takes carrots and puts them in a juicer? Yeah. It's not probably. just carrots, though. It's like other stuff in it. But like, yeah. I had bacon. I don't eat pork. I. So, if you don't eat
1: pork and you don't eat diet soda, that's like you don't really 80% of my that, diet. You
0: don't really eat soda.
1: I drink probably. I'm trying to not overshoot it. I probably drink at least 100 ounces of diet soda a day. Jesus.
0: Why? Why? Can I ask a question Constantly then? Why diet Because I feel like It's
1: pop still No it's not Because I'm diabetic And if you drink okay. a coke If you drink a 12 ounce coke And it has like 40 carbs And yeah. a 12 ounce diet coke Has zero If I drank coke I'd drop dead Okay well see That's a good That's a but, health but, but concern But it's the same thing If you're like trying I mean it's calories not, Yeah So does zero calories I mean it's just true I mean, Yeah it's It still it's has a hundred, zero hundred other. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, But it's zero calories you know what it's what zero carbs
0: it? You know what else is good Water Water. You know what tastes really good? Water. Diet soda. Water tastes amazing. Nothing is better than like if it's a hot day outside, you've had a long day, and you've got a nice ice cold bottle of water sitting in the fridge for you. I get like a big cup, and I put like
1: 12 ice cubes in it, and then you pour that diet soda <laughs> so on it. So you put water it, all up in it. <laughs> and it like fizzes, and it crackles. And then that water, and, and then it, that ice melts. And it burns a little bit when <laughs> My it's going God. down your throat. I love that burn of a good diet soda. Woo! That's awful. That's my high. That's awful. I'd give me some of that with a late-night slice. That is awful. This could be the last question because, like, it could take four hours. Shaq Harrison at Harrison Shaq. Project the depth chart for next year. <laughs> oh, my God. What coaches will be fired by the end of the year? I've said before, I don't think Bill Davis will be back. And if he is, I'm going to have a lot of questions. Um, I think they'll have movement. I think Shiana could go somewhere. I think Day will get offers. I actually think Day's going to wait for a really good job. I don't think Day's going to jump for a mediocre job. He didn't jump for Mississippi State last year. So like Mississippi State is probably like the 40th best job in college football. So if he didn't if he didn't jump for that it's like, "Oh, people say like for Maryland. If you didn't jump for Mississippi State, why are you going to jump for Maryland so that you can go lose four guaranteed <laughs> games a year to Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State?" Like that is an uphill climb. I think he can do I think he can wait. I'll be very curious to see what he ends up going for. Everybody always says if you're going to go somewhere, you got to go somewhere with a recruiting base. Tom Herman jumped for Houston cuz he knew He could recruit there. It wasn't a Power 5 job, but he knew he could recruit there. Luke Fickle wanted to stay in Ohio. He knew he could recruit at Cincinnati a certain kind of kid. You know, that level below Ohio State, good Ohio kids. You can recruit there. You can't. Everybody always says you can't go somewhere where you think you can't recruit. I think a couple guys will be... I think Bill Davis will not be back. I just don't know what to tell you. If you want me to do a depth chart, you're going to have to think about the fact that I think K.J. Hill could go along with these three other senior receivers, so you might lose your four top receivers. Uh, Austin Mack and Ben Victor will be back. Chris Olave is going to have a role next year as a deep threat. I think Demario McCall and Jalen Gill are going to have roles next year at H-back. I think I said my projected starting offensive line the other day. Munford, Jordan at left guard, Myers at center. I don't think Jordan goes pro. Um, Myers at center. Wyatt Davis at right guard and Nicholas Petit Frere at right tackle, although Brandon Bowen will probably make himself known in there. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of these um, current freshmen get in the rotation next year. Some guys in the defensive line, some guys at linebacker. I think even though tough Borland, Malik Harrison and Pete Werner, I think we'll all be back next year. I don't think they're all guaranteed to start again. Um, I think it's going to be An interesting time because you're going to see most of the same people back. There's there's only one senior on defense is Dante Booker. There's six seniors on offense, the three receivers and Malcolm Pridgen, Isaiah Prince, and Demetrius Knox on the offensive line. So you're going to see change at receiver in the offensive line. And if you think Haskins is going pro and Tate Martell steps in there, I think Mike Weber's gone. But J.K. Dobbins will be that guy, and I think he'll be the guy. I don't think there'll be two guys. It's not going to be like it's going to be Dobbins and Brian Sneed, or Dobbins and Master Teague. That's going to be J.K. Dobbins, 25 carries a game. But the defense is going to look basically the same. Draymond will go. Draymond Jones will be gone, and he'll be hard to replace. But there's going to be a lot of familiar faces, and there's going to be some of these freshmen who are going to be moving up a lot. Ooh, beep, 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 beep. Nikki Unders, why is Urban so against making changes to the interior of the offensive line? Clearly the weak link on the offensive. It looks this bad this week. Any chance of changes made prior to Michigan? I. You can't make it. I mean, you can't start a guy for 11 weeks and then, and then take him out and say, hey, your first start of your life is going to be against Michigan.
0: I think whatever we see against Maryland is a... Not gonna say fully what we're gonna see, but as far as like who's going to be out there, that's what we're gonna see against Michigan. I think they're gonna use this game to uh, uh, input the things that they want to do against Michigan. So if you see them out there this Saturday, that's who's gonna be playing against Michigan.
1: The thing you have to remember with it. this stuff is that you know these guys won the job. There wasn't anything yeah. about Malcolm Pridgeon or Demetrius Knox that like they had an inside track on this stuff. Malcolm Pridgeon won the job out of nowhere. Michael Jordan got moved to center at the last second. So like they, they opened the year thinking these were the five best guys. And so, you know, I think Brandon Bowen is the one wild card, but urban Meyer, whenever you ask about the offensive line, and he was asked again this week about changes on the offensive line, he said, no, we're not going to do it. And then the guy he mentioned is Wyatt Davis. So Brandon Bowen coming back from injury. He was the second team, right tackle. I think he's their number one backup tackle now. And, um, Wyatt Davis is their number one interior guy, but I think unless there's an injury, they're not going to make a change. And, like, I get it. I I would have been open to it after Purdue. They didn't do it. I don't think you'd do it now. I don't think you'd do it now. Jordan Alexis is moving Michael Jordan to center. That's at JAA951. Is moving Michael Jordan to center? The worst decision they've made all year. Also, if Urban doesn't move on from Stradrawa and Davis after this season, should the AD step in? Uh, it's a dangerous territory, but I also think um, – I think you can put pressure on him. I think Urban uh, deserves to lose a little uh, of his power over the way Zach Smith was handled, um, and it's not that Greg Studrawa and Bill Davis have done any- anything wrong. But I think if those are the two guys that I talk about when I when I talk about hiring guys who are based on personal relationships and not best guy available, I don't think it would be unreasonable to put pressure on Urban and say you need to make changes. Um, and I don't think. Um, I don't think he should be resistant to that. So I think it's an interesting point by Jordan Alexis, and we will definitely monitor that in the offseason. Moving Michael Jordan to center, I think it turned out it was a bad decision. But Brady Taylor got hurt, and I think Brady Taylor's injury factored into this more than we thought. And I guess Josh Myers wasn't ready. Um, It had worked the previous two years, and I think they leaned on that. It worked with Elfline and it worked with Price to move a veteran guard to center. Those guys both were the best centers in the country. Michael Jordan has not been that. He's an all Big Ten guard who is not an all big 10 center. So I understand why they did it. We thought they should do it. We talked about it a lot. We asked about it in the summer. We thought they should do it. So this is a second guess. We agreed with it when it happened. But I think it ended up hurting them. I understood it why they did it, but I also think they could have gotten away from it at some point and they didn't. And I do think it hurt them. Yeah, na, 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 Eric, uh, Kasimov at Eric Kaz is like analyzing stuff. He's breaking down, the uh, Michigan. Um, let, let's throw this out there and just, and we're gonna see if maybe people have a misperception of Michigan. Golf cart. Analyze Michigan's road games, cause that's where the game will be played for them. So, Michigan's coming to Columbus. These are their four road games this year. They lost at Notre Dame 24-7. They won at Northwestern 2017. They won at Michigan State 21-7. They won at Rutgers 42-7. Take out the Rutgers game, and they're averaging 19.3 points on the road. Does this feel like a Michigan team that can't, Win on the road is that going to be a big factor in this? Do you think they are they a much better team at home? Looking at these scores, Stephen, does it make your eyebrows go up a little bit?
0: Yeah, they're a better team at home. But at the end of the day, this is wow State, and no, all like that gets thrown out the window. I think, <clears throat> wow, yeah, they're a much better team outside of the Rutgers game. They're a much better team at home, but I think this is the end of the i think they're going to use their game their game is in the end of the same way ohio state should use their game against maryland this week as a chance to kind of put things to put things together and kind of prepare for the following week because i don't neither one of these teams are going into this game worried about whether or not they're going to win or lose this game so i think yeah the the numbers say one thing but at the end of the day i think this is an entirely different situation and i think michigan will be fine at ChrisSportsFan, underscore, then Chris Sports Fan. It felt like the
1: linebackers played better last week. Any particular reason why? This is talked about a lot. Greg Giano said he actually thinks the linebackers have been playing pretty well all year. Um, they did play better last week. I'm going to write something about tackling because they really tackled better. They went from 20 missed tackles to 15 missed tackles to three missed tackles last week. But here's part of the reason why. Who on Michigan State's breaking your tackle? You know who, who makes it hard? to have good tackle numbers, Rondale Moore. I think there were things in place with that Michigan State offense uh, that made it much easier for the Ohio State defense to look good. So there is some part of me that wonders. I think Greg Shana was talking about how, Mich- how Maryland is going to get them in space. And we'll get to the next question that's related to this. Is they're going to get them in space? And it's going to be a very different challenge to try to tackle in space. I think it's possible a lot of the reason – that Ohio State looked good on defense is because there were just a bunch of Michigan State guys right there in front of them. Yeah their defense was good because Michigan State's
0: offense was bad
1: period. Hurt and stylistically not as difficult to deal with.
0: And their punter kept putting them inside the six yard line.
1: Yes they were pinned back so I'm a little hesitant on the defensive uh, cheer with Ohio State because I think a lot was working against Michigan State last week so I would be on alert for that. Joe underscore OSU. Am I crazy for thinking that Maryland could be tough for Ohio State? They have athletes and I hate to single any guy out, but tough Borland to struggle in space against spread speed teams. Again, Shiano said that's what they're going to do. They're going to motion, motion, motion and then run little jet sweeps and get guys in space. Baron Browning did not play last week. Urban Meyer did not make that sound like that's a long term injury. So I think Baron Browning's back this week. Last week was a tough Borland game. This might be more of a Baron Browning game. Michigan might be more of a tough Borland game, or at least maybe for both of them. So I'll be very curious how they use the linebackers this week. I think we have reached the point where we just know the kind of of offense that tough Borland's better against, and we know the kind that Baron Browning's better against. That's not a criticism of either of them. I think it's just a reality. Who's your early prediction at JSAT5 for 2019 breakout player on offense and defense?
0: I think Dobbins... I think it gets back to the expectations that we had for him coming into this year. I think he has a chance to have that type of season next season. My offensive guy, I'll say Chris Olabe. They He's
1: in the mix now as a, as a sixth receiver with Austin Mac out. He's a deep ball guy that they haven't had for a while. Uh, they like him. They're saying really good things about him. I think he has a chance to be a different kind of receiver for them next year. And then on defense... I mean, there's some obvious ones on defense. It's like by the time – Baron Browning, Chase Young, and Jeffrey Okuda were all top 10 recruits in the country. They're all going to be juniors next year, and none of them are all Big Ten caliber players yet. Um, all three of the, I mean, honestly, all three of them next year should be all Big Ten. So if they're not, then they're – They're they're a shade under what the expectations were for them. I think there are some very interesting freshman linebackers. Torada Mitchell, a couple other guys that I think Dallas Gantt. I think there's some guys that you need to be on alert for that, again, um, just because guys were starters this year doesn't mean they're going to be starters next year. So I think we need to watch for that the way Pete Warner sort of won a job out of nowhere this year. Um, I think that's possible. And I think there's uh, Tommy Togiai and some of these interior defensive linemen with Draymond gone next year. Uh, I think there's going to be some opportunities at defensive tackle, too. All right. I think we're good. Anything? Oh, uh, let's see. All right. Let's do Adam Grinstead. We'll end with Tate. Um, Adam Grinstead. At AC Grinstead. Over under three touchdowns for Tate in the last two games of the year? Over or under three? Hmm. Under. I say under two, but you said, Stephen, that's on your list of things you want to write this week too. Do you do, are you anticipating, from the way people talk today, a continued Tate role?
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think they're going to use him more. Now is he scoring? No, I don't think he's going to score. But I think in situations where you want to, where they're going to want to have a, a quarterback who can use his legs, I would not be surprised if he's on the field a lot more. Or even the same amount that he was against Michigan State. I think they'll use him in the same capacity against Maryland. I think that's a game where you can maybe use him a little bit more because you're playing. That's a game that they should dominate. So like late in the game, he'll be able to get a lot more reps, and so you'll be able to see some things that maybe you weren't able to see against Michigan State because that was still a game for most most of the afternoon. So I think, yeah, I do think he'll see you'll see him on the field a lot more often.
1: I agree with that, but I'm also under. Because I think part of what Tate does best down there is free up the running backs. That when Tate got in the game, what we saw was Mike Weber having a little more room to operate down there. It wasn't, Tate only kept, Tate came in and kept once, and then like he just, the drive he was in, he gave it every time.
0: Which is simply because of the fact that, oh, he might keep the ball, which is, which goes back to our earlier discussion about, you know, when you have a quarterback in there that, Oh, shoot. He might actually keep the ball. It changes the way that you have to plan, that you have to go approach a, a certain play. Yep. And so, yeah, he'll, that's why it's an under for me as well, because, hey, he's going to be in there. That doesn't mean he's going to be the one that's going to end up running the ball yeah, at the that's end of the, the day.
1: Thing. Tate in the red zone does not mean Tate scoring. No. But his, he, just his presence changes everything. Right uh adam's second question was about chris olave he looks smooth in and out of breaks and with his hands will he be the best receiver on the roster next year that's a big jump i don't think it's impossible i'm very curious to see if kj hill comes back i think if kj hill comes back uh he could have a gigantic year next year um but i i think any optimism around chris olave is correct and we're going to actually go with one more thing this is a vein of things and i will be curious to get steven's read on this here we go Charlie McQuillan and then, uh, G. Nilly had a question too. We'll start with Charlie, then I'll find G. Nilly's at McQuillan My, What's it like being at the press conference? Every time I watch an Urban Meyer press conference, he just looks pissed off. He has to be there. Urban also seems very disrespectful to some of the questions and reporters. I'm a treat the janitor like the CEO type guy. What are your thoughts? So you have now entered the world of Ohio State reporting. What
0: is your vibe from the news conferences? I think from, let's just say, the last two weeks being in the press conferences and being in the media availabilities, Urban is exactly what I thought he was going to be like. I don't think he's disrespectful to some people. I just think like he has certain questions that he's just not going to address, just like any other coach or anyone else would have, and he cuts them off a lot quicker than he would other questions. I, but I do think that, I don't know if he looks like he's pissed to be there, but I don't think that he does have a look of, This isn't the first thing I would want to do with my day. I didn't wake up thinking, hey, I can't wait to go do my media availability at 1145 every single Monday. Yeah. It's definitely more of a chore for him than it is something he's excited. I think they're excited to do it on media day because it means it's a new season. And maybe like when they're going to bowl games, it's cool. But it's only fun when like you're having a great game. But when it's time to actually be questioned about some things, nobody wants to get questions about their coaching ability. So, yeah.
1: I, there's no coach in the country that looks happy on a Monday or a Tuesday to be no. in talking to reporters. So I think you have to keep that in mind. Um, I will say this a couple things. One is, Urban is much more direct and gives you much better information to use in your stories than Jim Tressel did. Jim Tressel talked in circles, and he did it on purpose. It's not like a slam <laughs> on Jim Tressel, it was his strategy. He filibustered. We got Jim Trestle every week for like an hour. We get Urban for like 20 minutes. And you get more and, from Urban than you do from Jim Trestle. Or 20 minutes of Urban is is so much more valuable than an hour of Jim Trestle. It's not even close. And that's just a reality. Urban, when he got here, it was like the the confrontation he'd had with Jeremy Fowler on the beat down there that a lot of people remembered of, of Urban coming up and talking to him. Like People were kind of like, oh, I wonder what this guy is going to be like. Um, there's been none of that. That has like never happened. In seven years here, and I've been every time he ever talked, I was there. So, like, you sure? I I I think. What do you mean? You sure? Sure about what? Are you going to to be there this Saturday? Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. I go to every game, (laughs) shouting in an empty building. So I will say that uh, that he actually is really good with us. He's he's interesting. He's honest. He's straightforward. But I will also tell you this, and I'm old and I have gray hair and I have a feel for this. You have to read the room sometimes with him. And you have to understand the kind of questions that will get an answer and the kind of questions that won't. You have to understand the kind of phraseology you can use that can get him to shut down and ways that you can get him to open up. Um, And sometimes what happens, and it happens a lot here at Ohio State because of what Ohio State is a lot of times we end up going in there after a win. They win on Saturday and we go in on Monday and I've asked 20 questions about what's wrong with you guys. They just beat a ranked team on the road by 20. And it's like, what's wrong with this? Did you fix this? Why can't you do this? Whatever. And every year in a couple news conferences, you can tell when he gets tired of that. So there are times when I will th- I'm not a softball guy. I I need to get my questions answered. I, I like asking pointed questions and it often works. But there are times when you can tell this is heading south a little bit. And if he's answered seven questions so far about what's wrong with your team that just beat a ranked team on the road by 20, if you ask him an eighth question about it, we might lose him for the rest of the news conference. So then you've gotta give him a little something about how his team is good. Hey, you guys did this. How did you get better at that? Hey, this is something you've been working on. Why do you think it was effective? And that will get him back on track. And I understand it, actually. He's a throw me a bone type of guy. It's, 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 but it's one of those, it's like sometimes it can, they're nine and one, by the way. They're nine and one.
0: Yeah, but that one is all that matters. No, but see, but now you're the problem. I know. That's okay. Guys
1: like you. (laughs) It's okay you you have to you want to press them you want to hold them accountable you want to hold them to a high standard cuz they want the standard to be high but sometimes along the way you have to understand that 9 and 1 is still pretty freaking good and if you have a 20 minute news conference with a 9 and 1 team and 19 of the minutes are what's wrong with you you're not going to have a coach who's like in the best mood to give you great answers Maybe like 16 minutes of bad and four minutes of good. Like you've got to – and I think like I can feel it sometimes when the mood is turning and then I will try to go a certain way. And, and it's the same thing the other time. Sometimes it's so too happy and it's like, hey, there's problems with this team. Boom, boom, boom. So um, it's a very interesting thing. After when you're old and you've done it for a while, you get a feel for things. And not to brag – it's not bragging. Who would be like, Oh, I'm really good at reading the mood at press conferences. What a skill I have. I mean, that's a good skill, but I can, I can tell, I can tell when a certain and people sometimes it's like, Nope, I can t-. the way like the topic you had a chance to get an answer on that topic, but not the way you asked it. You've got to ask questions the right way. This is the last one for G from G nearly 97. He's asked it a couple weeks and it's in the same vein. How does Jerry Emig, who is on Twitter at Buckeye notes, if you guys want to follow him, he's the sports information director for Ohio state. How does he determine who gets to ask questions and in what order during urban's presser? So Steven, have you, did you, did you notice like the Jerry, like the yeah. nod, the nod, explain yeah.
0: the nod. The nod is, is the way to like cue yourself up of, Hey, I have a question. And like, and over the last two weeks, I've seen like the nods. One's like, okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You're going to get one. And then there's the, but you're not really going to get one. Like yeah. you're, you're, he's nodding at you saying that I see you, but it's not going to change anything. You're not going to get a question today. So I've gotten some. He gets, uh, you got yeah. two, you asked two questions. It's your very first one. Right? I did. I did. I've gotten some good ones. And then, um, Michigan State only got one question. So it's okay. Yeah. It's just, you know, you got to get the good nods. And that's when you can get questions in. You got to be here for fourteen years, and you get bingo. The, good nods. the more, the longer he knows you, and actually, like, is can say can point out who you are in a room full of people. Then I think like you have a better chance of getting a question. When you're forty, you're set, man. Or you, you can't can wait be, till you're forty, or you can be like some people and just get seventy million questions, even though they said last question.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's the thing too. You have to be around a long time to be able to uh, override the last question. Yeah, it's the last question veto. There's not a ton of people who have last question veto. Oh, I know who they are. But there's a couple of them. I'm one exactly of them. I exactly they are. I'm one of them. I have a last question, Vito. Um, Jerry, so Jerry looks at you. He nods. There's always more people with their hands up than get to ask questions. Of but course. there are like the people who've been around a long time. You get to answer a question every time. I've told Jerry, if I am in a room, I want to ask a question. So like you never have to like think to yourself, oh, did Doug want to ask a question? Mm-hmm. The answer is always yes. Um not wait then to get there. He, I, I never want to be first. I like to be more middle or back. Because then I get to see what other people ask and maybe get some of the generic stuff out of the way, uh, and also get to read the room a little bit. Um, but it is a fight, and I know there's people who get frustrated sometimes that they don't get called on as much. Um, but uh, that's not me, so I don't care. Hey, hey, build your clout, man. You'll get there. Yeah, you earn it, and that's, that's fine. And then, or, you know, I mean, like, it, it, but but, and it's the people who show up, who go to all the road games, who come to everything. Um, you know, they get a little more. They get a little more. But Stephen will get his, baby. Steven, when you work for Cleveland.com, man, that is no joke. That's another golf cart. It's like a Laker jersey. All right, that golf cart is our sign to get out of here. So thanks to you guys, as always, um, for listening. And here's what we're going to do now. That's the end of us. And we're going to go now to this 40-minute Dwayne Haskins interview. It's a little different version of Buckeye Talk this week. We're moving in and out with some stuff. I wanted to get to Dwayne Haskins before Michigan Week, and I had been talking to Ian Wharton about this. He could do it on Monday night, so he and I knocked it out Monday night. If you care at all about Dwayne Haskins as a quarterback at Ohio State, as Dwayne Haskins as an NFL draft prospect, Dwayne Haskins, what he's done good, what he's done bad. Ian Wharton has tracked since 2012. He's tracked 54 different quarterbacks who are the best NFL prospects in college. And he will tell you where Dwayne Haskin ranks among those 54 quarterbacks in various categories. This guy has an unbelievable database. He's an unbelievable Twitter follow. Um, I would encourage you to do that at NFL Film Study. And I would greatly encourage you to listen to this interview with Ian Wharton. And then I'll come back at the end and say that thing I say at the end of the podcast. Joined here on Buckeye Talk by Ian Wharton, one of my favorite Twitter follows for college and the NFL. I love the way this guy breaks down players, um, breaks down the game. He, he does a lot of college football stuff for Bleacher Report, but I would uh, I would encourage you to follow him on Twitter, at NFL Film Study, to get a taste of everything he does, and I think my absolute favorite thing he does, which is a service to football fans, is these threaded... Not threaded, threaded threads. These threads you do, Ian, on quarterbacks through a season where you have all these gifs of a single quarterback. And if you're trying to learn a guy, you can go right to your Twitter account. Ian, how did you figure out that this was a way that you wanted to present quarterbacks to the world?
3: Um, Yeah, so I was kind of just going back and finding YouTube games of old quarterbacks because I just wanted to kind of educate myself on how some of these quarterbacks were um, that I missed out on, so like 80s, 90s quarterbacks. And so I just kind of decided, well, you know, why don't I share what I'm seeing, kind of share the special plays and maybe some of the boneheaded plays that guys like Drew Brees and Michael Vick and Steve Young, these guys, what did they do in college? You know, we, we kind of assumed that these guys are all perfect because they go to the NFL and they're amazing talents. But what I kept finding is they weren't always perfect, they always made mistakes and you know, they kind of work through it, and you kind of get to see the progression of the season um, by doing one of these threads. And so, um, kind of started this. I think, I think last year was the year where I really started putting them together uh, for all the eligible quarterbacks. I just thought it would be kind of a cool experience to kind of show some of the, a lot of the good, and then some of the bad. I mean, try not to highlight too much of the bad because, you know, like I said, all of these guys kind of go through ups and downs. So, um, I think people tend to enjoy it because of that way. It's it's really easy to search. So this Haskins thread, I I love um,
1: the Dwayne Haskins thread, which is what we have you on here for to talk about Dwayne Haskins. But I think, again, why talking to guys like you is so important is that Ohio State fans know Dwayne Haskins. They know what he's done this year, but they don't have the context of Dwayne Haskins compared to other college quarterbacks. So of the guys that you have closely observed and broken down among college quarterbacks this year, where is Dwayne Haskins in that mix right now in your mind?
2: Yeah. So, for some context, so in doing this uh, beyond just doing you know
3: the threads, I've actually been charting them too and, and taking note of uh, what I would consider catchable passes um, and trying to break down exactly like how their usage is, like where they're throwing the ball, basically. Um, Zero to ten yards, eleven to nineteen yards, twenty plus yards. Just trying to get a, a feel for like what is their adjusted completion percentage. I think that's probably the easiest way to look at it. Um, like what's reasonably catchable, and counting that as a, a positive for the quarterback. Kind of taking away the drops, taking away um, you know kind of the, the miscues that happen that are outside the quarterbacks. Um, Handle So I've got over 54 quarterbacks um, kind of stacked up that I've been able to track their careers. Um, looking just specifically at this class, I've got a total of seven that I'm up-to-date on. Looking at like Will Greer, um, Stephen Montez from Col- Colorado, he's kind of the hotter name that, that NFL people have been talking about. Then um, a lot of the other guys too that we know, just like basically draft-eligible guys, Justin Herbert. <clears throat> so Haskins, looking at his stuff. I think he's definitely towards the top of this class. I mean, not only just comparing him to the 54 quarterbacks that I have in the database, but also looking at um, just the guys this year, it's it's not a great class. It's not like last year where Rosen and Mayfield and even Darnold to a certain extent and to a much lesser extent, Josh Allen. Um,
2: I always
1: appreciate and, a good Josh Allen shot, Ian. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for every Josh Allen shot we can
3: take. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna try not to. I, I actually really hope the kid succeeds, but, but man, he was he was not a good prospect. Um, at least in in terms of what I look at. So I you know, looking at it like that, like this class is not that class, and so we we kinda have to keep that in mind. But Haskins is extremely impressive. I mean he is such a natural thrower of the ball and, and just and also for for uh, for a little bit of a reveal the curtain, I remember because I'm a nerd. Watching a spring game for Ohio State a couple of years ago, when it was his first time playing, and like I saw him throw like three balls, and I was like, "This guy has an NFL arm!" Like this is (laughs) like you could just tell like the way the ball came off of his hand that like he was at least going to be in the league in some form. Just maybe even if he was terrible at quarterback. NFL teams will take note of that type of arm talent, um, so it's really exciting to see him play well this year. Um, he can really hit it to all the levels of the field, and really do a lot with the football, um, even off of just a short, a short drop, so he compares really well numerically, and I think film-wise he's a, a very impressive too, especially for a first-year starter.
1: I think you could sort of see that, again, and it's interesting you said that, because that's what Urban Meyer said, that he saw when he watched... Twain Haskins throw in high school. I think he said it was the best high school thrower that he'd ever seen. That there's something about the way the ball comes off his hands. I feel like he obviously has a very strong arm, but it seems like he throws a catchable ball, especially on those deep balls. Sometimes you get a guy when they're throwing a deep ball. It seems like their deep ball is like a rocket, and it just takes off. His feels more like a little bird, sort of falling into your hands. Sometimes I feel like he he is catchable within his arm strength. And it is something that's that's very apparent early on. And there's a million other things, and you know better than me that go into playing the quarterback position. But just from that standpoint, that and it's not just natural. I think it's what he's worked on his whole life to just throw the ball that way. Even among the elite quarterbacks, Ian, when you're looking at some of these best guys, there must be a difference there, right? Just the way a ball comes off a guy's hands, just the way, just the kind of pass he throws. Is there a difference with guys?
3: Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the last time we talked, and this will kind of date the last time that we talked, we talked about Deshaun Kaiser um, on the Buckeye podcast, or I'm sorry, on the the Browns podcast last preseason, and kind of compare Kaiser's deep ball, which like you said, it was just a hard line throw. He's throwing to a spot. If the receiver isn't right there or can't make a really good adjustment on it, it's not going to be a catchable ball. It's not going to be reasonably um, something that they can make a play on without you know Odell Beckham type one handed catch or something crazy. Um, that's not what Dwayne Haskins has. But also compare that to the other side of the spectrum, which would be Trace McSorley. So Trace McSorley's deep balls are completely different than these two guys. Um His are basically lobs, um, for lack of a better term. And it's it's not an insult to him. It's just. He's throwing it sky high, and it's going to land, and you're hoping that the receiver is going to make a really good play, a dominant alpha type of play where, you know, they're just using their size advantage to box out the corner. It works. It works on the collegiate level. Um, but projecting that forward, it doesn't. There, there's really – Johnny Manziel was like that too. His deep balls, Mike Evans, were very similar. They weren't fluky in terms of cup collegiate production because you're relying on a monster on the other end. But in terms of the NFL, it just – very few times has that ever actually proved to be sustainable. Um, So I'd say Haskins is somewhere in the middle. He has great
2: control of the ball. Um, His deep ball this year, he hasn't taken a ton of deep shots,
3: but you've especially seen it down the middle of the field, and I think to that left sideline, he's really charted well. He's actually – I have him down for – eight out of 13 attempts down the left sideline as being accurate and five of those or six of those have gone for touchdowns so he's definitely a guy who's been efficient when he has gone downfield
1: I have a million questions about this but just talking about the deep ball quickly um, it seems like he does have a knack for that they have a couple guys Terry McLaurin first and foremost Johnny Dixon's fast he's not necessarily he's a smaller guy he's not necessarily a guy who's going to go up and get a deep ball but I know that Urban Meyer has talked about teams sort of trying to take the deep ball away at times. Are you a little surprised, as you mentioned, that it's not like they've taken a ton of deep shots. Dwayne really has worked the middle of the field, and obviously, especially early, they did a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick short throws. Given his talent with the deep ball, are you surprised maybe they haven't done more down the field with him? Uh, I think if everything were perfect
3: and the ecosystem of the offense was exactly how you'd want it to be, I would say they should take a lot more deep shots. But look at recent weeks. A lot of defenses are just rushing four and and dropping seven. And they're providing that help over the top. And it's worked. They're getting to Dwayne. They're limiting the offense. They're having to use a lot of screens. They're having having to pivot to do that, especially to take care of the running game that hasn't really been too effective. So defenses are kind of controlling what they're doing. More than what we saw early in the season because the competition has increased. The level of competition has increased. They've seen the film, especially that the passing offense is so much different than the last couple of years. I, I think ideally the running game would be better. The offensive line would be playing a little bit better, yep. um, especially Isaiah Prince. Like that's been such a weakness in, in the last couple of games and it's something that was unexpected. And it, ideally, if you look at the first half of the year, they were able to go four wide and just block with five blockers, and he had all the time in the world, and it just it changed. And that's just what happens in, in football sometimes um, as you play better teams. So I'd love to see them attack downfield more, but I think it's also a good thing for Haskins that he's not too reliant on it. He's very quick to recognize mismatches and get rid of the ball quickly to kind of protect himself and the offense.
1: So, again, I, I feel like I wish I had like a, a through line to my questions, but I think I'm just going to throw random stuff at you for half an hour, <laughs> Ian, and let you go off. I know I'm. you're watching players all over the country, so I'm assuming you haven't watched every throw necessary. Well, I guess maybe you have. Have you watched every throw Dwayne Haskins made if you're charting That's- guys like
3: this? I've seen every throw of his career including spring games. Okay. But I was... it's because part of it, like I said, I'm I've been like waiting for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I I understood why they had to play J T. Barrett, but like every time he would come in or even in the spring games, I was like, I wanna see this kid throw. Like there's just <laughs> not many guys who throw like that, especially on the bench. You know, right. if he was playing for, you know, Nebraska or whatever, or if he stayed at Maryland, uh, stayed committed to Maryland, like he would have been on the field You know, day one, and it wouldn't have been a question. Yeah, he's a three year starter who comes out after his true junior year uh, with
1: 36 or 38 starts under his belt. All right, I was going to preface it by saying I'm sure you haven't seen every throw. You have seen every throw. Has he been off the last couple games compared to early on at all? Because my naked eye, which is not nearly as trained as your studied eye, it feels like he's. and early on it felt like to me he almost missed nothing. I felt like I could count on one hand, maybe the first six games, how many throws he missed. He was high on a couple crossing routes over the middle to Paris Campbell, and that was about it. I do feel like the last couple weeks he's missed a handful in each of the last two games. Do you agree or disagree?
3: I would agree with the caveat that the margin for error for him is very small in the offense. Yep. Um, we notice everything he does wrong because he is the offense. Um, like, he is everything. And it's that's never a good spot to be in. It, it's almost – I'm not going to say he's that type of talent, but NFL-wise, for NFL listeners, he's almost like an Aaron Rodgers right now at Green Bay where – they're not really helping him a ton outside of what he's creating for them. Um, So I think that that's just getting magnified, especially as the defense has sort of crumbled a little bit. Now, he hasn't been perfect, like you mentioned. Um, Statistically, he's been very consistent. So he only had uh, five misses under 10 yards last game, which is about par for the course. He's been better than that. Uh, Usually it's between two or three misses every game, but it's not a significant difference. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that he only had one deep shot last week that actually wasn't a throwaway. He had two the week before. So beyond 20 yards, he had three the week against Minnesota. So we're just seeing less verticality within the offense. And so therefore, it's just, it becomes, you know, these short passes over and over, intermediate passes, uh, a handful of them throughout the game. So I think we're just noticing when he misses more and when he's pressured, I think that there becomes, you know, there's less plays overall. So we're putting a bigger emphasis on it. Right. Um,
1: I want to get into some of the NFL stuff. We'll come back, to maybe just some straight Ohio State stuff. But my my wonder about him at the NFL level is it seems like so many of the recent highly drafted quarterbacks and the successful ones, from Carson Wentz to Patrick Mahomes to Deshaun Watson to Baker Mayfield um, to Sam Darnold, all these guys can move. All these guys are good athletes. All these guys... It seems like they can get out of the pocket and throw on the run. And to my eye, Dwayne seems much more like a classical drop-back passer, more like a Dan Marino or a Peyton Manning or a guy who's a big, tall, strong guy in the pocket. We know he had the scramble against Michigan last year. I know he had the, he had the scramble last week uh, against Michigan State that got called back by a penalty. He said he was kind of salty. That got called back but because I, I felt like on that play he was trying to make a point because he didn't go out of bounds, he got near the sideline, then he lowered his shoulder, and I think he was trying to show people that he could do that. But that's just not, that's not his game to me. He had the awkward slide the other week. That's just not him, and that's fine. But do you think, as he's compared to recent first-round quarterbacks in the NFL, in your mind, does he lack any athleticism that a lot of those other guys seem to have? Yeah, if, if you're going to compare them, yeah. Um, but I think you could look at
2: Josh Rosen. And find a very yep. similar player. Okay. Um, hey, I don't think
3: it's a problem. It's just one of those things that if they have it, it's nice. You know, it, it just affords you that little bit extra. Um, but you also see it in his development that he's never been a guy that's had to worry or you know overcome. Uh, Over other weaknesses in his game he's a pocket passer he knows he's a pocket passer therefore he only works on pocket passing you compare that to like tate martell who is so dynamic with his legs he's not necessarily as refined as a po- pocket passer he's able to get away with a lot more because um, he can create with his legs so i think it's paid off for him well um, it would be great if he could run a little bit better he's kind uh, of painful to watch like i think he can run like i don't think he's an absolute statue, it just it looks like he's going to hurt himself sometimes when yeah, he slides. It's just awkward. You know, it doesn't look comfortable. He yeah,
1: doesn't look comfortable.
3: Not at all natural. So um I, I wouldn't mind seeing him keeping it one or two times more game just to kind of keep the defense honest, but you know, like you said, it's it's not like you're gonna go down to the red zone and, and call, you know, keepers for him all the time. He's just not that type of player.
1: But so but you think at the NFL level it's not something that would hold him back as people begin to evaluate him when he gets to the combine and that kind of thing. And they're really getting in the nitty gritty of his tape again, Josh. So Josh Rosen wasn't the first pick in the draft. He was a very high draft pick and a a quarterback that a lot of people liked. It doesn't sound to me like you think it's any kind of major negative for him as he's evaluated as a pro.
3: I don't think so. I think it's more of like a cherry on top and it kind of depends on who he's compared to. Um, so it depends on which class he comes out in. If he waits till next year, you know, you're probably going to have Justin Herbert. You're probably going to have Tua Tagovailoa. Um, Those guys can run a little bit better. So, you know, if it's a tiebreaker, that team might prefer it. But just a few years ago, teams looked at running quarterbacks or teams that are quarterbacks who could run even and didn't necessarily value that at all. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of, uh, hopefully it doesn't swing too far the other way. You know, if you're good enough in the pocket, you're good enough to, to, to make it in the NFL. Um, it would be nice, though. I mean, you see it with, with even Baker Mayfield and, and Sam Darnold. Those guys make some really good plays on the move and outside the pocket. But those guys, you know, especially Mayfield, he gets it done in the pocket first. And so I think that's going to be what matters for Dwayne, too.
1: All right, so you mentioned depending what class he comes out in. I've just been telling Ohio State fans the whole year, assume he's gone. Assume he's gone. It feels like to me he's it just he's confident. I think he thinks he's ready. Um, It's just fans have to understand that if you can get a shot to get your money, whether it's basketball or football, if you think you're going to be a first-round pick, it is very, very difficult for anybody to come back. So I've told Ohio State fans, he's gone. If somehow he comes back, what a wonderful bonus for Ohio State. But I think the other day I said if I was 98% thinking he's gone – maybe after the past couple weeks, maybe I'm at 94% instead. My question for you, Ian, if you were advising him, do you think there are things that he could do with another year at Ohio State that would make him a better quarterback, a better draft prospect, and give him a better chance to succeed more quickly in the NFL? Or given what you've seen, do you think it makes sense for him to go now?
3: Yeah, that is, that is a great question. Um, Obviously, there's so much, you know, to consider, but just from what we see, I, you know, and it's nothing against Ryan Day or Urban Meyer, but neither of those guys are proven NFL factory quarterback creators. You know, it's not yep. like he's going to, to come back to, um, to, you know, someone who is for sure going to develop him in the way that the NFL is going to want to see. The question is whether he's going to be better off on the bench in, for an NFL team or, at Ohio State, actually getting playing time. Playing time's always good, I, I think, but if there's no path to development being set forth by the coaches who owe him nothing as far as developing for the NFL, um, you know, then he's just playing to play. I, on the other hand, the list of one-year starters to go to
2: the NFL is small. Yep. I think Mitch, Mitch Trubisky's
3: really the biggest most notable one and he struggled really much, really badly as a rookie even in his second year he's shown some growth but he also has like an insanely good surrounding cast so um it's kind of tough to say what exactly he'll be you know we'll find out over the next couple of years so um he's he's so young as a sophomore but he is really developed like he's he takes care of the ball so well so i i, I look at um I chart uh, dropped interceptions as well and I kind of factor them into actual interceptions and I divide um, the the touchdowns divided by the interceptions to kind of create this rate, basically like positive play to negative play ratio. Again, to compare to those 54 quarterbacks that I have in there, he's first. Really? He, you know, he's over 350 passing attempts and he has seven interceptable throws this season. Like, that is, like, we thought Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield's actually second. I'd have to check, but I think Baker Mayfield's second in that. So we were looking at, like, the most efficient NFL or, um, college football season last year by Baker Mayfield. And in, at least in that measure, Dwayne Haskins has been better. So, like, it's not like if he goes to the NFL, he's some turnover-prone quarterback like Sam Darnold was, had a ton of issues with interceptions, making decisions, reading defenses. He's not having those issues. So I think mentally he is ready. I think it's going to be a matter of – his consistency, and I think that's what you wanted to see if he comes back for a second year. How does he handle pressure? Can he become a little bit more of a playmaker against pressure as opposed to being a guy who will just dump it off or throw it away? Um, he's not bad against pressure. It's not like he's making mistakes. It's just he's not necessarily making plays. So I think there's some fringe things that he could work on, but the natural talent is so overwhelming. The refinement to me is so overwhelming that like I wouldn't blame him because – Herbert's supposed to apparently be going back, and we'll see. You know, like you mentioned, when when it actually becomes time to make that call, and a team's telling you, "Well, you're going to get thirty some million dollars guaranteed as a top five pick," you know, it becomes a lot different conversation than, than in November when it's just like, "Yeah, you're you're projected to go here." Um, I I'm I'm kind of in the middle because yeah. I'd like to see him come back. I think it's always good to get more playing time. Um, selfishly, I wouldn't mind him coming back because it's another year of. Of data that I can collect on him and, and see if this year's a fluke or if defenses adjust to him. Um, but you know, kind of looking at his situation, it's a great class to come out, and I think he'll definitely ascend because team. I think people and teams are kind of looking at him with the scope of he's coming back next year, so they're not necessarily studying every game, they're not necessarily watching every throw very closely. But then when they do declare, you actually go through and you thoroughly comb through everything, and I think he'll really impress when teams and, and, and analysts start. to, look at that um, through that scope. So um, I would lean towards take advantage of the hot wave, come out now. Um, you can be the hot name this year, be a, be a very high first-round pick because there's really no other options, and he is that talented. I think I think he is that talented. Like I would have no problems taking him very high in this class. Um, if I needed a quarterback, especially if I can afford to sit him for a year um, or at least let him, let him work through the growing pains for a year, um, but if he goes back, you know it's it, it's a good. I think it's a good decision for his sustainability and his experience. Right. Uh, I think that mentally that will pay off. And um, you know, hey, he's only a sophomore though, too. He could technically come back twice if he really wanted to for some reason. But yeah, that's not. Happening. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that would be. A actually, I think that something would have went wrong if that right. actually happened. So right. let's hope that doesn't
1: happen. So, so uh, that is the one thing. It's very interesting I think how how defenses have tried to deal with him because before the Penn State game especially when he got off such that hot start in the first four I thought I, I didn't I, I wrote a column that I thought he could handle pressure like he could handle big moments he could handle the spotlight national TV a ranked team on the road but could he handle pressure could he handle blitzes could he handle people getting in his face? And I do feel like he struggled with that at times against Penn State, but then from the Minnesota game on, and P.J. Fleck said this after the Minnesota game, it was more like let's just drop people and maybe let him make some throws, pile up some yardage, but if you take away the deep ball, don't let him go over the top, keep everything underneath. They might move the ball, but this was a team that's had red zone problems. Let's not let him score on 50-yard touchdowns. If he completes a bunch of 12-yard throws, we'll make him march. And that's been effective to some degree, too. I do want to talk about the pressure, though. When he gets pressured, I know he's not going to run. But I think I agree with you that he, seems, he, he recognizes Blitz is coming. And I think he'll get rid of the ball and try to not take a sack. But I feel like he could improve in terms of moving within the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield maybe rolling out, running to make a throw, that I do think that is a step for a a quarterback, right? That when you get pressure, you can either have a negative play, you can get rid of it somehow and live to fight another day, or you can actually make them pay for the pressure. And I think you just mentioned this, but I don't know that he's made teams pay for pressure very much, even if there have been times when he's done the smart thing and maybe avoided a sack.
3: Definitely, definitely, and I think that's the one area where I would would note that I want to see him grow the most is, so just in terms of accuracy, again, this isn't necessarily accounting for what's a great decision or, or anything like that, but just simply delivering a catchable ball. I have him fifth total among those 54 quarterbacks. So when he is throwing the ball and not throwing it away, when he's pressured, he's making a good decision, at least as far as Getting the ball on target and, and giving this receiver a chance. So he's very accurate when pressured. It's just, again, like you said, I'd actually like to see him maybe take more sacks. Yep. That sounds weird, but you almost want more of a risk there because you want him to extend the play. Like you said, shuffling around in the pocket. You want to kind of see him get to like that Tom Brady, Philip Rivers model where you're buying time, buying time, but you're not moving, really. You're just kind of shuffling a little bit here and there. You're buying some angles. You're creating some angles for your blockers, and then, boom, something finally springs free, and he's got a quick release. He can get that ball out. We know he's super accurate. He can hit guys all over the field. So that's kind of a, a, like a next-level thing. Like That's where, like, when you see that, you're like, oh, OK, like that's someone that like now we can't really blitz him because if we blitz him, he's just going to, you know, carve us up and, and find the weakest spots possible. So I think that's an experience thing. It may just be a, a trait thing, too. I don't know if maybe just intrinsically that's just not who he's going to be. Um, the good news is at least he's not a disaster against pressure. He doesn't yeah. fold under pressure. That's great to see. It's, a, it's certainly a, a high floor situation. Now we got to see if he has that high ceiling, and I, I think that would be the, if he does come back for next year, um, that's going to be the big area for growth, is, is how refined can he become, um, identifying those weaknesses, uh, be when the play actually starts, like after the play starts, can he extend that play just a little bit, and then find that big break somewhere?
1: So I'll be very curious whenever he gets to the combine, and again I'm assuming it's going to be this, after this season, um I don't know that his athletic testing numbers are going to be great, but I think when he gets out there and throws the ball, his accuracy, his arm strength, that miles per hour thing they do, and then I think when he gets on the board, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's really smart. I think he's really smart. I think he's really football smart. I think he has really good football instincts. I think he's very confident in the throws he makes. I think he can look at a play, assess a defense, figure out who's open, maybe get through a couple reads and make the right throw almost all of the time. And then when he makes it, he's accurate and he has good arm strength. When we talk about that part of it, Ian, the basics of that, throwing the football, how do you think he compares? You're talking about these 54 guys you've charted and that you've looked at uh, the quarterbacks over the last couple years that have gone to the NFL. How would you just describe his ability to throw the ball with accuracy, with power, and to make a, a correct read and make the throw to the right place, when he puts all that together, what's the context for him there?
3: Yeah, I, I think this is where I've kind of been sold on him, um, and I think this is where teams are going to get sold on him because he's so quick, pre-snap I think to find mismatches, and and this is why I've actually seen this as a criticism that well it's just short pass over short pass, but context of that is is that he's identifying his guys coming open so quickly or he knows that his guys are going to be open because of the pre-snap looks uh, that he's just taking advantage of it and he's supplementing that run game by getting those short passes and keeping the offense on time i think that's a huge strength of his he's so accurate on short passes fourth in my database on uh, from zero to ten yards that's behind guys like teddy bridgewater russell wilson baker mayfield that's it yep there's no one else more accurate in my –
2: again, it's a limited sample. But, you know, it, it, those are guys that, that feasted
3: mentally as well as physically. Um, so it's really encouraging to see that from him. I, you look at the arm talent. I mean, he, he has a phenomenal arm. I don't think that he has the strongest arm, at least in terms of – I don't think it's Matt Stafford. I don't think it's Patrick Mahomes um, or even Josh Allen. But it doesn't mean that – it doesn't inhibit him from making any throw. He doesn't have to be set. His feet can be a little bit off. Um, If he does roll out of the pocket, we've seen him a couple of times that he has rolled out of the pocket. He can hit intermediate throws. Uh, We just haven't seen it too often. Uh, I think the total package is there, at least physically and mentally, from what we've seen. um, It's just going to be a little bit of the nuance of the game, a little minute details that that end up determining kind of where he falls on the spectrum. But I don't really see it like a bust potential. Like, it's not like we're talking about Cardell Jones. Right. Who, you know, with him, it it was – a bit of scatter shot you know um, it's actually funny kind of looking at their zero to 10 accuracy I've got haskins at almost 83 percent of his passes are catchable from zero to 10 yards Cardell Jones um, was at 62 percent of his passes that's a big drop yeah huge drop so Cardell was third to the bottom in this database, and, and like I said, uh, Haskins is fourth from the top. So just totally different ball games these guys are playing. Um, he's in another stratosphere compared to at least someone that you know, Ohio State's fans can kind of um, compare to and think back to, so that doesn't mean Cardell wasn't talented, but I think Haskins is definitely a lot more gifted as far as natural throwing ability.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. That's been a comparison that a lot of people have made. Just because there haven't been—I mean, Urban Meyer doesn't play throwing quarterbacks; he plays running quarterbacks. So those are the two guys that get compared a lot. Cardale, if they stood on the on the goal line and said who can throw it farther, I think Cardale could probably throw it. 10 or 15 yards farther than Dwayne, and Dwayne has a really strong arm. And I think if... I'm sure Cardale would beat Dwayne in a 40-yard dash. But in terms of, like, the intricacies of playing the position and accuracy and making the right read and figuring out pre-snap what a defense is going to do, Dwayne is light years ahead of where Cardale was. And I always thought maybe Cardale, when he got to the league, would get better at some of that stuff. And I thought he did have an upside as a starter, and that's obviously not the way it went with him. But it feels like Dwayne's foundation... Even within an offense that isn't necessarily built for a quarterback like him, they've kind of jerry-rigged it to make it work this year. Um, He seems like, and I know he has a a quarterback's coach from high school that's very important to him. That's really helped him a lot. It feels like his foundation for the NFL, just his understanding of the game, seems really solid to me. And it sounds like you've just you've said that for the last half hour.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and I'm interested to see. Um, the feedback from teams when they do interview him on the whiteboard, and, and because it just seems like he it comes very quickly for him. Yep. Um, I mean, it it is really remarkable. I think what we've seen this season because it's not like I was kind of waiting. I was kind of waiting to see if it was going to be a Geno Smith type of year where he has like a hot six weeks and then defenses say just do this and he'll melt down. You know, they'll force him into his weaknesses, but. And, and I don't think that he's been a star necessarily in some of these big games like Penn State, Michigan State. And, and I don't think that's all on him. I think that's some of the limitations of the offense, or good job by the defense to force the unit into their weaknesses. Kind of talk about like the red red zone issues a little bit. Um, some of that are some of his issues, but I think some of them are also just the Ohio State offensive issues. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear like the feedback that, that teams give. If we do ever hear any feedback as far as how he – because I would think that he's going to be very quick because on the field, he's certainly noticing things quickly and he's avoiding disastrous throws, um, certainly at a consistent level.
1: Yeah, I think it's – after watching JT Barrett double pump for three years and seem to hesitate on throws and maybe not wanting to try to squeeze it into windows – Dwayne does not hesitate. Dwayne knows what he wants to do, and he does it. And I think that's a, that stands out as a stark contrast to me. Last two for you, Ian. Very big, important questions. Very specific ones. You mentioned Philip Rivers earlier. That was just talking about guys like that. I thought that was a very interesting one to me. Is there a guy that you, that Dwayne Haskins reminds you of 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 current NFL quarterbacks or any quarterback you've studied? Who's the best comparison for him?
3: I think it would be Rivers. Yep. Um, it, he's a weird comparison because big body, you know, big arm, you would think, you know, Ben is probably, probably going to be the guy that, that big draft is going to hit on. Um, seems like everyone goes to, you know, Ben Roethlisberger as soon as you start to say big arm, big body, but, um uh, I think Dwayne is more cerebral than Roethlisberger is. Um, now Roethlisberger has, extremely good trades too. That's not to say that he doesn't, but Rivers is a little bit more... um, I think he's a little bit more mentally precise than Roethlisberger can be. Roethlisberger can be really reckless. He's willing to go for the big play, uh, whereas Rivers is... He's had some mistakes, but... yeah, you, know, you look at his his stats. I think his stats pretty accurately reflect just how good he is at avoiding uh, mistakes and, and creating big plays on his own. So I would I think I'd go with Rivers type. He would be that type of archetype um, where he's just a big pocket passer. He's willing to stand in there. We'll see if if he can be the playmaker that Rivers is, but um, but there's definitely those those little bits and pieces of that. All right, last
1: one then. If Justin Herbert from Oregon does not come out, and it seems like the consensus is forming around him as the number one guy among guys who could be in this draft. Excuse me. If he does not come out, could Dwayne Haskins be the number one quarterback taken in the 2019 draft? And could he possibly be in consideration if a team like the Giants, that is quarterback needy, ends up with the number one pick? Or... If Dwayne would be in the mix for the first quarterback off the board, even if you need a quarterback in the top five, let's say, would you have to take Nick Bosa or one of these other defensive linemen or some of these other guys who seem like sure things just because maybe the quarterback crop then is not quite as good? Could he be the first quarterback and how potentially high do you think he could go?
3: My hot take would probably be, and because I've seen every snap of Herbert's too, I, I think I would take Haskins over Herbert.
1: Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay.
3: yeah. And, and part of it is Herbert, over the last four or five games, just hasn't really done much. It, it, like, nothing. Like, he's barely even been in the game. Uh, it, it seems like he's, you know, he's a young guy too. He doesn't have much more experience than Haskins, and I think he's kind of going through that swoon where it's, you know, defenses have kind of figured out, hey, you know, if we can put any bit of pressure on him, he, he kind of crumbles. Uh, and the offense is a whole lot less effective. I think that Haskins has a much more natural feel to him. Uh, I think that he plays a lot more confidently than Herbert does at times. It's not to say Herbert's not talented. It's just I don't think that Herbert's bulletproof. And we saw some really lofty comparisons a couple weeks ago from, from I think it was NFL.com. They had, like, Andrew Luck, like people comparing him to Andrew Luck, uh, you know, Herbert's definitely not like an Andrew Luck type prospect. I think the NFL might value Herbert more um, because they've seen him. I think six more games or so, but I don't. I don't really know if that'll hold up. So whether he comes out or not, I would. I think I would take Haskins over him. And some of that's going to be determined by interviews and, and what's on the whiteboard. But I would feel more comfortable going with the more naturally talented player, which is for me Haskins. Um, and I, it, it becomes tough because. A team, it depends on the situation, but like the Giants need a quarterback, period. Um, I don't think they can really afford to wait to 2020 on one. I think they need to take one very high in this draft. Um, I think Nick Bosa is incredible, and it's almost like a Miles Garrett situation where
2: mm-hmm.
3: he should be the top pick like 99% of the years. Um, but they certainly have a decision to make because as great as – Nick Bosa is. He's not going to win you games like a great quarterback will. Um, So I definitely think Haskins, even if Herbert does come out, I think he'll be a top 10 pick. Uh, It just kind of depends on if teams are going to be sold on the one-year starter thing. They tend to be a little weird about that, but they went for it with Trubisky, so maybe they go for it again here. Um, As far as coming down to Bosa versus uh, versus Haskins is going to be tough. I think they might go with Bosa, because Bosa's also been on the radar since yeah. he was a senior in high school. So, or even I think junior in high school. Yep. Um, Is there so anybody that's else? That's always tough to break.
1: Is there anybody else? Is there, so? If it's not Herbert, who do you think anybody else would be in contention with Haskins to be the first quarterback off the board? Whether it's Greer or Drew Locke or that Duke kid, or or do you think, it, in your mind, would you be pretty comfortable with Haskins as the top quarterback?
3: Personally, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not going to have another quarterback in like the top two rounds um Tyree Jackson from Buffalo would be a guy who I have interest in not in the first round um, but shortly after Daniel Jones from Duke he's gonna be another day two guy he might sneak into the first round I wouldn't recommend it to teams but they might fall in love with him maybe he's you know maybe he's a savant like Carson Wentz's where you know college film doesn't really matter and he's just a a genius so he's gonna become really good in the pros kind of like winston um i i don't foresee that though like a lot of these guys are developmental talents um they really have struggles on a week-to-week basis we haven't seen that really with haskins he's i think he's had some not as great moments but he's not had games where he just doesn't even look like he would be in the conversation for the nfl um a lot of these guys have had those games, and, and they've stacked up over multiple weeks. Um, even a guy like Will Greer, I think Greer's going to be probably like a, a third-rounder, maybe late second-rounder, third third-rounder, um, just because physical limitations. Um, so it's, it's just not a great class overall, and I'd be surprised if teams are, are reaching too much on these guys. I'll tell you what,
1: Ian, if Dwayne Haskins listens to Buckeye talk this week, he's definitely gone. He, yeah, he's, he's feeling good about himself. <laughs> he's like, man, I might, it's me and Bosa for the Giants at number one. I'm out of here. Um, it's really interesting to think about. It. It's really interesting to think about, and we just know the history of Big Ten quarterbacks. They just haven't had guys like this um, come through this conference, and so this is, this is a really big deal, and uh, I know Ohio State fans would love to have him back, but um, I just think this is going to be a rare one-year blip in the urban meyer era like hey remember that time we had that guy who could really throw it um and you have to enjoy it while it's here because uh, it's a rare thing and i think he's a rare guy in a lot of ways so ian wharton you guys can follow him at nfl film study i could not give a higher twitter recommendation than ian he just has uh great football analysis and like almost no nonsense you know, no offense to anybody else, Ian, but sometimes you know you get people who you follow them on Twitter, and like one minute they're breaking down uh, football stuff, and like the next minute they're you know putting out uh, thirty photos of the squirrel in their backyard or something. You know, and you don't you don't really seem to be a guy like that to take thirty squirrel pictures, right?
3: Yeah, I try to avoid you know much of the personal stuff. I know people don't really care too much. I don't really care to share it either. I'm not huge on like. You know, being all out there and everything with that stuff. I mean, I like having personal conversations with folks, but I'm not going to force it down your throats. Like, you guys can DM me if you really care about that stuff. <laughs> He'll send
1: you squirrel pictures on DM, but I do think, <laughs> and it's important, I think, for Ohio State fans. A lot, the guys we've talked about, um, they're on. Ian's Twitter account, if you want to learn more about not just Dwayne Haskins, definitely find the Dwayne Haskins thread from Ian and watch that. But then also watch some of these other guys he's broken down. Like he said, it just gives you a context of these guys at their best, plus some of the plays where they weren't at their best. But it's a really good, easy, informative way to learn about the college quarterback. So Ian, I'm a fan. I enjoy your NFL work. I enjoy your college work. Uh, Greatly appreciate your time on this. Nobody could have broken Dwayne Haskins down the way you just did. So we are grateful on behalf of the Buckeye Talk Nation that you took 43 minutes out of your night to do this. So thanks so much. It was definitely my pleasure. Thank you so much. And that's it. Sorry about that, guys. I spent five hours Wednesday morning trying to process this thing. It got corrupted. I put some files in the trash. That, that was a mistake. I had to get them out of the trash. I finally had the Haskins interview to the point where I could listen to it, but it would not save. So what you just listened to was a recording of a recording. Um, and I apologize for that. I was really nervous about losing that Ian Wharton interview because I thought the quality of the content was so good. One of the best interviews I've done on any podcast here at Cleveland.com just because the guest was so informative. And I I couldn't believe we almost lost it. So I really apologize for the audio quality of that. I think it was still definitely still worth it, though. So I'm just a little off my game. It, it ticks me off when that happens. I feel like I've been off my game for a couple weeks. We'll get it back. Uh, the podcast rating's at 4.72. we got to get to 4.75 on iTunes to get back to a five-star. We're four-and-a-half-star We'll get it back. We'll get it back. So, again, always appreciate you guys sticking with us. Did not get to the Gmail questions this week. Keep sending those. I I couldn't get to them when we were recording. That's another failure by me. So I'm kind of ticked at myself, but I'm always grateful for you guys hanging in. So I'm also very grateful to Ryan Aber and Ian Wharton for giving us what I think were two really interesting perspectives for this podcast. So next week, we'll do it for Michigan. We'll try to get it up a little early. Um, so, you guys have more time to listen to it before Thanksgiving. But as always, appreciate your time, appreciate your interest. So, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Book I Talk.